welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Namaste and good morning everyone I Ritika Gupta assistant director at Impri Impact and Policy Research Institute प्रभाव एवं नीति अनुसंधान संस्थान नई दिल्ली एक्सटेंड माई हार्ट इज वेलकम टू यू ऑल टू इन प्री हैश टेकल डिस्कशन ऑन डबल डिजास्टर कोविड एंड साइक्लॉन इम्पैक्ट एंड मेक फॉरवर्ड दिस डिस्कशन इज जॉइंटली ऑर्गेनाइज बाई नेशनल इंस्टीट्यूट ऑफ डिजास्टर मैनेजमेंट मिनिस्ट्री ऑफ होम अफेयर्स गवर्नमेंट ऑफ इंडिया इन कोलेबोरेशन विद सेंटर फॉर इन्वायरमेंट क्लाइमेट चेंज एंड सस्टेनेबल डेवलपमेंट एट इंक्री I would now like to request Dr. Simi Mehta, who is CEO and Editorial Director at Entry, to introduce our eminent panelists further. Ma'am, over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Ritika, and a very good morning to all of you. And I sincerely hope that you, your loved ones, and everyone around you are keeping safe and you are in the best of your health. So uh, today we have gathered for a very important and interesting uh, discussion on double disaster covid and cyclone impact and way forward and this is in the run up to the world environment day which uh, we'll be we are celebrating uh, on the 5th so uh, as all of us know that uh, india has a long coastline say of over 7500 kilometers 7500 kilometers and as such uh, we are no stranger to uh, extreme cyclones and the month of may 2021 witnessed two devastating cyclones within a span of 15 days cyclone taute in the west coast and cyclone yas in the east and all this when our country was already reeling under the scourge of the devastating second wave of the coronavirus pandemic uh, while it is too early to tell the full impact of cyclones taute and yas Uh, but going by the basic estimations uh, the combined losses equal to the tune of around 5 billion us dollars uh, losses of human lives uh, large scale infrastructure damage power outages rural homes and agricultural lands being under being the hardest hit and basic needs such as drinking water sanitation and the like uh, have also been very hard to come by so there is no doubt that the country has scaled up uh, the early warning systems which we will know from our uh, esteemed panelists today uh, through indigenous and also international collaborations we have also built civic awareness constructed cyclone shelters strengthened buildings and among several other measures that we have undertaken and as such we are wit- witnessing uh, quite better preparedness however the challenge this time is worsened by the pandemic it has been a nightmare to ensure physical distancing in the cyclone rehabilitation facilities where minimum space requirement uh, is approximately 5 square meter uh, while following the covid-19 protocol and in the absence of this for the huge number of evacuees the threat of contracting the virus becomes imminent and hence this double disaster needs to be objectively assessed as our country works on a war footing to tackle the health crisis which makes it more difficult to respond to the additional healthcare needs that the cyclones have brought so to understand the implications of the two cyclones the science behind their intensity and if and whether we could have been better prepared and the lessons we could we can draw from the double disaster we have gathered uh, today for a very pertinent web policy talk 
which is being jointly organized by the National Institute of Disaster Management, Ministry of Home Affairs, Government of India, and IMPRI Impact and Policy Research Institute. And we are so fortunate to have a very distinguished panel, expert panel uh, with us today. The, the patron of the program is Major General Manoj Kumar Bindal, sir, who has also kind, kindly consented to deliver the keynote address. The, keynote, uh, the convener of the program is Professor Anil Kumar Gupta. He is the head of Environment, Climate, Disaster, Risk Management Division, NIDM. And we have with us Dr. Srija M.U. She is Hazard Analyst, Kerala State Disaster Management Authority in the Government of Kerala. We have with us Dr. Mac, uh, Roxy Matthew Cole. He is the climate, he's a climate scientist at the Indian Institute of Tropical Meteorology in the Ministry of Earth Sciences, Government of India. We have with us Mrs. Uh, Sunita Devi. She is scientist uh, at, the Indian, uh, at the India Meteorological Department uh, in the Ministry of Earth Sciences, Government of India. And we have with us uh, Dr. Chandrasekhar Bahinipati, sir. He's assistant professor at Indian Institute of Technology, Tirupati, Andhra Pradesh. So, I would uh, now like to uh, wish all of you a uh, good morning again. And uh, if we can check if uh, uh, Bindal sir is here. Yes, Bindal sir is here. So we can have the presentation first. And uh, welcome, uh, Bindal sir. And uh, we, I think we can go, go ahead with the presentation. So we have prepared a short uh, presentation, uh, five minutes. Over to you. Has Bindal sir joined? Yes, it okay. looks like. Bindal sir, can you hear us? Uh, yes, now we can see him. Yes, sir. Good morning, sir. Good morning, uh, Professor Anil Gupta. Good morning, good morning, I'm sir. I'm sorry for joining late. But no, it's all right, sir. Planning issue. No, no, sir. <laughs> Good morning, and, uh, sir. You, you, you are looking quite young, sir, today. <laughs> that, is, that is really good, sir. My, my barber has to be complimented. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Yeah. Simi is here. Dr. Simi has uh, just given a brief background yes, uh, of the program. Sure. Yeah. Good, so morning, good morning, Dr. Simi. Good, good morning, morning, sir. <laughs> so, sir, uh, we can start with the presentation. And after the presentation, I would be inviting you for your okay. remarks. OK, OK. To you, Mahim. Right, so our team will quickly present the state of the fair so that we have an interesting discussion. Uh, Mahima will do the presentation. Mahima, are you ready? Yes, sir. Go on, Mahima. Good morning. We've gathered here for a hashtag web policy talk on double disaster involving COVID-19 and cyclones, impact and way forward. With this presentation, our team will give a brief insight into the topic to encourage the discussion on the intersection of the COVID-19 outbreak and cyclones that wreaked havoc during it. Honorable Prime Minister Narendra Modi addressed the country on Monkey Bath on 30th May 2021, where he noted the natural disasters that India faced and expressed appreciation towards the courage, patience, and discipline of the citizens, especially those who provided relief and rescue services. Let's direct our attention towards the talk given by Honorable Prime Minister on the 77th episode of Monkey Bath. 
देख रहे हैं कि किस प्रकार से नमस्कार मेरे प्यारे देशवासियों नमस्कार हम देख रहे हैं कि किस प्रकार से देश पूरी ताकत के साथ कोविड 19 के खिलाफ लड़ रहा है पिछले सौ वर्षों में यह सबसे बड़ी महामारी है और इसी पेंडेमिक के बीच भारत ने अनेक प्राकृतिक आपदाओं का भी डटकर मुकाबला किया है इस दौरान साइक्लोन अम्फान आया साइक्लोन निसर्ग आया अनेक राज्यों में बाढ़ आई छोटे बड़े अनेक भूकंप आए भूस्खलन हुए अभी अभी पिछले दस दिनों में ही देश ने भी दो बड़े साइक्लोन का सामना पश्चिमी तट पर साइक्लोन ताउते और पूर्वी कोस्ट पर साइक्लोन यास इन दोनों चक्रवातों ने कई राज्यों को प्रभावित किया देश और देश की जनता इनसे पूरी ताकत से लड़ी और कम से कम जानकारी सुनिश्चित हम अभी अनुभव करते हैं कि पहले के वर्षों की तुलना ज्यादा से ज्यादा लोगों की जान बचा पा के इस कठिन और असाधारण परिस्थिति में साइक्लोन से प्रभावित हुए सभी राज्यों के लोगों ने जिस प्रकार से साहस का परिचय दिया है इस संकट की घड़ी में बड़े धैर्य के साथ अनुशासन के साथ मुकाबला किया है मैं आदरपूर्वक हृदयपूर्वक सभी नागरिकों की सराहना करना चाहता जिन लोगों ने आगे बढ़कर और बचाव के कार्य में हिस्सा लिया ऐसे सभी लोगों की जितनी सराहना करें उतनी कम है सबको सैल्यूट करता केंद्र राज्य सरकारें और स्थानीय प्रशासन सभी एक साथ मिलकर इस आपदा का सामना करने में जुटे हुए मैं उन सभी लोगों के प्रति अपनी संवेदना व्यक्त करता हूं जिन्होंने अपने करीबियों को खोया हम सभी इस मुश्किल घड़ी में उन लोगों के साथ मजबूती से खड़े हैं जिन्होंने इस आपदा का नुकसान झेला मेरे प्यारे देशवासियों चुनौती कितनी ही बड़ी भारत का विजय का संकल्प भी हमेशा उतना ही बड़ा रहा देश की सामूहिक शक्ति और हमारे सेवा भाव देश को हर तूफान से बाहर निकाल हाल के दिनों में हमने देखा है कैसे डॉक्टर नर्सेज और फ्रंटलाइन वॉरियर्स उन्होंने खुद की चिंता छोड़कर दिन रात काम किया और आज भी कीपिंग इन लाइन विद दिस हेयर इज अ ब्रीफ इंट्रोडक्शन टू द साइक्लोन्स दैट हिट इंडिया इन 2021 स्टार्टिंग एज अ डिस्टरबेंस इन द अरेबियन सी साइक्लोन ताते इंटेंसिफाइड एंड मूव्ड नॉर्थवर्ड्स ऑन द वेस्ट कोस्ट ऑफ इंडिया along the states of kerala karnataka goa and maharashtra before reaching gujarat and daman and dew on may 17th where it made landfall in addition to the relief services isolated testing facilities had to be set up keeping in mind the pandemic just after 10 days a disturbance in the bay of bengal formed into the cyclone yas and moved inland to hit odisha and west bengal The health ministry worked towards ensuring a smooth supply of vaccines 
and COVID treatment. Both the cyclones brought heavy rainfalls and wind, which damaged houses, crops, electricity poles, boats, uprooted residents and trees, and disrupted traffic and airline functioning. A review meeting was held with the Prime Minister and Chief Ministers of the affected states to formulate long-term solutions to the problem. Keeping in mind that many researchers believe that the destruction of biodiversity creates conditions for new viruses, is this nature's way of telling us to slow down? We pray for the safety and health of the people affected. With this, we look forward to learning more from our distinguished panelists. Jai Hind. Thank you, Mahima. Thank you for that uh, wonderful uh, uh, introduction and also uh, for reminding all of us about our Honorable Prime Minister's uh, monkey bark. Uh, so thank you so much. Now I would, uh, before inviting Major General Manoj Kumar Bindal, sir, for his keynote address, I would like to introduce him to you. Uh, Major General Bindal is the Executive Director of uh, National Institute of Disaster Management. He was commissioned into the Corps of Army Air Defense in December 1985. He's an alumnus of the National Defense Academy, and he's a graduate of the Defense Services Staff College and has attended the prestigious higher command course at the Army War College, besides excelling in all other career courses in the Army. During his more than three decades of service, he has held important command and staff assignments. He has held all echelons of command within the Air Defense Regiment in diverse theaters. For example, he has commanded an Air Defense Regiment and an Air Defense Brigade in the Kashmir region against the backdrop of uh, counterinsurgency operations. He was the general officer commanding of the sensitive sub-area in the Northeast. He has been on the staff of a mountain brigade deployed in the counterinsurgency op operations in high-altitude area an armored division deployed in the plains, a desert core, and in the core headquarters in high altitude areas. Major General Bindal has served as the Provost Marshal in the United Nations mission in Mozambique, where he was deeply involved in the liquidation of the mission. Uh, Sir has been the director of the Center for uh, United Nations Peacekeeping, New Delhi. And for three years, he was also the secretary of the International Association of Peacekeeping Training Centers. Sir, we are so grateful that we are able to have you uh, this morning and uh, welcome and uh, over to you for your keynote address, sir. Thank you so much. Sir, please unmute yourself, please. Ah, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Simi, uh, for the introduction. And uh, it was a good presentation taken by uh, Mahima Kapoor uh, in a very concise format. And she took us through the journey of various cyclones which have hit during the COVID time. Uh, COVID-19 pandemic as it is has uh, extended the whole uh, disaster management setup, has extended every uh, government agency to its uh, maximum to work at its peak for not for a short duration, which we are generally used to in spurts, but for a continued uh, period of uh, months altogether. And then there's a small lull and again it starts off. Uh, and on top of that, uh, we have uh, cyclones coming in and so many of them which were shown by Mahima Kapoor, like uh, Nisar, Gyas, and then uh, Tokte, Amphan, uh, which have caused devastation and which has further extended the uh, capacity of every stakeholder, of every response uh, 
mechanism that we have, whether it be NDRF, SDRF, uh, or uh, the defense forces, or the CPOs, or the civil defense, or the or the uh, NGOs and the IGOs. So it it has uh, given us many lessons, and uh, such cascading disasters will keep coming. Uh, it has also given us an indication that uh, uh, we should be prepared for a multi-hazard scenario uh, rather than a single hazard scenario, which have, we have been doing throughout. So multi-hazard scenario, we have to uh, think of. And a lot of issues came up during this whole uh, exercise uh, in various, while dealing with a disaster within a disaster, while fighting another major disaster. Uh, so I'll just touch upon a few of them uh, and discuss about them. And uh, in the panel, I'm sure uh, the panelists, uh, they're all esteemed people. They will be uh, clearing our minds and they will be, uh, we'll have a very fruitful discussion of, so that all the participants are able to go home with a very, very clear understanding. Uh, before that, uh, uh, I would uh, like to thank uh, IMPRI for this program. In the previous program, I was supposed to be uh, there, but due to some issues, I could not join. So I told them next time I'll positively come. So I requested Professor Anil Gupta to delay the thing by 10 minutes because I was held up somewhere. Uh, because uh, since I had promised, I, I said I will be joining. So I'm very happy so. to be here. And uh, it's a good uh, collaboration that we are looking for in future. So coming back to the topic, this part I should have said earlier, So, I, but I, I'm saying in between. Uh, so coming back to what I was saying, a lot of issues came up uh, during these uh, experiences that uh, India is facing or the world is facing. In many parts of the world, there is uh, issues like uh, we, it's not only cyclones, it's landslides, floods, and many other things. So first uh, uh, issue which came up is the last mile connectivity. Uh, uh, in uh, When we have a cyclone-related issue, there the last mile connectivity becomes very important, and it becomes the most important issue and challenging issue for everyone. How to reach each and every person who's likely to get affected by the cyclone and take him to a safe place, to a shelter. And uh, 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 so that was the big challenge and a uh, lot of studies are being done uh, how to improve the last mile connectivity. A lot of deaths are happening because the last mile connectivity was not ensured, uh, was not proper, and uh, uh, somehow uh, someone was missed out. Uh, and connected to this, is the social behavioral change uh, that is required among the uh, people. First is how, what to communicate. Second is to reach the person whom you have to communicate. Third is how to communicate so that the other person accepts it. There are many cases where people have understood the risk. People have understood that they are very, very vulnerable to it. And chances are very likely that they might get, uh, uh, might become a casualty, but they are not ready to move out. They just don't want to move out. They feel safe in that particular safe environment where they have been living for centuries. So for them, since they, uh, there are people uh, in coastal areas who have never seen outside their village. Also, there are, it's so surprising when you go to them, the maximum uh, our reach that they've gone is to the neighboring village for some uh, marriage or something like that. But they have not seen anything beyond that. So they're so apprehensive and afraid of leaving so that social and behavioral change is what is, uh, I think, a very, very important factor, which uh, is uh, also related to last mile connectivity, that we have reached the person, but now we have to convince him to 
follow the instructions for his own safety. Uh, the third uh, point that I would like to bring out is public healthcare system. We have seen that the public healthcare system is the best system that can reach out to people uh, because it is funded by government. All uh, interventions by government, the first uh, intervention is through the public healthcare system, not through the private. So the uh, confidence of the people in the public healthcare system needs to be brought up, and it should be it needs to be brought up drastically. Uh, so the uh, uh, I'll say energizing, empowering, enhancing, and uh, making the public healthcare system more reachable and more robust, and uh, and and it should be continued during other times, other non-disastrous time also. We have seen in the TV how uh, so many PHCs in various villages right next to a major town or a metro city are not there. Twenty years back, it was built, but there's no staff. So I think this is something which needs a total revamp. And uh, this, uh, once it uh, is uh, functional and uh, the deployment of such public healthcare system is given a de novo look, I think uh, it will also help out a great deal in every sort of emergency that is likely to occur, whether it be medical or uh, any other natural hazard. Sharing of info. Sharing of info is a big uh, issue. We have so many NGOs, so many self-help groups, so many IGOs, and so many philanthropists who are working in the field. And they have so much of data. They have so much of data. They have all the segregated data that we can ask for. So that sharing of info, there's no platform. Uh, Orissa has gone a big way in uh, uh, bringing them on board. Kerala has gone uh, uh, about it in a very, very big way. And these two states, uh, the response to a uh, uh, hazard or, or I'll say a disaster is at a different level uh, because they have uh, ensured sharing of info. They have brought all these multi-stakeholders on board and they're taking them along with them. And the government, state government is not taking them as a competitor uh, and they're taking them as a friend in distress. And that is the change that we need to uh, make uh, in our thinking also and start involving them in our day-to-day -day, uh, routine, uh, we have to also understand that they, they, they have a specific agenda. So we have to also be aware of that particular limitation of that particular group, whichever group we are talking about. If, they're, if, if they're, uh, their uh, objective is to ensure uh, uh, re removing malnutrition among children, so it is only children they're looking at, then uh, we should task them, oblique talk to them, coordinate with them accordingly. And at least that part is being looked after. So similarly, every NGO has got a different objective. And once you add up all the objectives, there's a whole picture which is complete. Uh, so I think they should be uh, very, very uh, much part of all our planning. Uh, next uh, challenge that came up, leveraging of techniques. Uh, there's no common platform. And uh, everyone is leveraging uh, technique a technological advancement, IT or big data analytics, or whatever AI you call it, uh, in their own way, in their own way, and which is effective. And sometimes it is not effective. And many people don't have the wherewithal to leverage technique. They go back to their age old uh, system of talking on phone or getting a report and then acting on it. So leveraging of technique, uh, technological advancement, uh, not technique, technological advancement in uh, during disasters, need to be uh, researched uh, and uh, uh, there should be uh, some common uh, 
common protocols in, where the interoperability between various uh, groups is uh, ensured by using uh, similar technological advancement. And uh, that is, I think, a need of the hour. And lastly, but uh, uh, very, very important is capacity building of multi-stakeholders. We have seen that uh, uh, many of the people uh, at uh, lower uh, functionary level in various departments are just not aware of what they are supposed to do in case of such a scenario is unfolded. Because a formal training on scenario building, uh, a case study with the help of a case study tabletop exercise is not being done. Uh, the uh, training on IRS is being done. So now NIDM has uh, started an initiative where we will carry out IRS training, uh, physical IRS training in every state, every district, uh, in every state, uh, not every district, every district officials will be called and a lot of states have shown their willingness and we will conduct this exercise uh, everywhere uh, so that, uh, that uh, who's supposed to do what is uh, known and this is to be repeated every six months because of the high rate of attrition uh, within a department. And you train someone now after six months, half the people have changed. And sometimes uh, generally Murphy's law works and all the key holders would have changed or the key stakeholders would have changed. So this, this uh, capacity building of multi-stakeholders in which the stakeholders who are not from the government, but from the civil society, from the community and other uh, organizations are also brought on board so that there is a connect between them, which can be used during a disaster. So that is the aim of this whole initiative, which NITM is starting. It was to start in April, but because of physical limitation on physical face-to-face -face programs right now, we have postponed it from July onwards. So our aim is in six months, we'll finish 36 states and again, restart the whole cycle and keep repeating it every six months. Uh, so with this, I have listed out some challenges that we have seen over the, uh, uh, especially with this respect to cyclones and COVID both going together, but it also applies to all other uh, disasters which keep happening like uh, landslides, flooding, or uh, heat wave, which is uh, going on in some places, uh, avalanches, whatever, it, it can be applied to most of them because it is an area where we need to work upon. So with this, I uh, finish my address. Uh, thank you so much and over to you, Dr. Simi. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for your uh, remarks. And in fact, you have just uh, let the whole uh, whole discussion rolling for the for this session to be really fruitful. Thank you so much. Uh, we, uh, it really means a lot for all of us and uh, for your kind words. Thank you so much. So with this, uh, I, I would now invite um, uh, Professor Anil Kumar Gupta for his uh, brief uh, remarks. Uh, I would like to introduce uh, Professor Gupta to all of you. Professor Gupta is the head of ECDRM he, uh, in NIDM. He is a disaster management, disaster mitigation and risk management professional. And um, he has an expertise in institutional development and international cooperation on areas of disaster management, capacity building, training, planning, governance, risk vulnerability analysis, disaster risk reduction, policy planning, agriculture. Dr. Simi, 
I think not much needed. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I would just uh, also really wanted to point out that uh, you are you are an expert team member of uh, the World Meteorological Organization, and here the importance because of the uh, program that we are having on cyclones. So this needs to be pointed out. Uh, you are a team member, expert team member of the WMO Climate Statement of South Asia Core Group member of IUCN Commission on Ecosystem Management. And thank you so much, sir. Um, uh, for, for joining us and I welcome you to provide your remarks. Thank you. Yourself. Thank you, uh, Dr. Simi. Very good morning to all of you and uh, uh, the executive director and IDM, Major General Manoj Kumar Bindal Sahib. I was listening to his uh, keynote speech and uh, uh, I think very important points have emerged from his uh, deliberation that uh, uh, this period of COVID, which has been actually uh, not only one disaster, but it was a period of complex emergency. Now it is almost 15 months uh, period. And uh, in fact, not only two disaster, uh, two cyclones, we had faced four cyclones total. Two cyclones in the past year and two cyclones this year. Uh, if we uh, include Amphan and uh, Nisarga also. So, uh, and in the same way, two cyclones plus neck to neck uh, last year also, and this year also, it was uh, like that. And the same way, one was on East Coast and uh, the other was uh, on the other side. So similar kind of setting, uh, but uh, as uh, the keynote speaker also referred to, that this period also witnessed a number of other disasters. And in fact, uh, when we were in the field uh, during the uh, first wave lockdown, uh, we, we recall that they, with the onset of COVID-19, in fact, the, the looming crisis of heat wave also started. So it was heat wave, and then it was uh, drought, then it was uh, um, uh, the uh, um, uh, forest fires also uh, were there past year. So, so, and then in series of industrial accidents, when the uh, unlocking period started, and uh, so many industrial fires, this year, there were a number of uh, hospital fires also, and hospital fires, and because of uh, the, the challenge with the oxygen plants and uh, so many things. So the deaths were not only because of COVID, but deaths were compounded by various other factors during this period. And that is the reason we call this period as a period of complex disaster or complex emergency. And uh, looking into this is becomes more important because uh, this has uh, posed a major setback to our journey on uh, achieving sustainable development goals. Uh, because uh, in achieving sustainable development goals, if we look at uh, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, agenda one itself, the goal number one, that uh, uh, related with poverty, are related with hunger, then related with health. So these are the key uh, goals of SDGs, which has got a very direct kind of a uh, impact of uh, this period, not only because of COVID, but various other disasters also. So there has been challenges to food and nutritional security. There has been challenges on livelihood, uh, particularly in cyclone affected areas. But besides this, it has uh, the, the structural damage. COVID did not call the, cause the structural damage, but cyclone contributed to structural damage. So then, uh, then it became both kind of damages, non-structural and structural both. And then compounded impact on people's health, livelihood, 
these things were also uh, uh, kind of a uh, very important uh, aspect to understand. And then the last thing that I, uh, I would like to point out here is that it has also contributed to future disaster risk. That is very important because uh, any kind of natural uh, events we cannot prevent. Natural process are the natural factors, but these natural factors become disaster because of the vulnerability. So the, whatever disasters we face this during this period and particularly cyclones, four cyclones, they were the major contributor to the, the coastal areas and also the, the nearby areas, not only coastal, but the nearby areas also, including infrastructures. And that has created additional layers of vulnerability. So that is very important uh, aspect to now uh, consider that how the, the disaster recovery uh, in this uh, cyclone context would be very, very useful for future disaster resilience also. So uh, when we say post-COVID recovery, then at the same time, we, are, we have to talk about the post-cyclone recovery also. So how this combined process of uh, the kind of a composite uh, understanding of recovery would, should take place. So I think these are very important points and uh, I'm very happy that uh, uh, Major General Manoj Kumar Bindal Saab has given this uh, keynote address, uh, giving us very important guidelines. And I'm very happy to see the Learned Expert panel today. Uh, uh, most of the experts are personally known to me and uh, we had the opportunity to work together in the past also. In fact, I recall uh, with uh, Dr. Bainipati, we recently organized a program also. Uh, jointly with IIT Tirupati, and he is well known to me for quite a long time. And I recall Shrija uh, was there in the uh, first event, first inaugural event of our South Campus, in IDM South Campus. The inaugural event was there, and she was uh, one of the participants there. So I'm very uh, happy and very uh, eager to listen to the experts of the day. Over to you, Dr. Uh, Simi. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you for your uh, inaugural remarks. And uh, now I would uh, like to mo uh, move into the panel discussion. And <clears throat> I would like to introduce uh, Mrs. Sunita Devi S. Uh, as the first panelist. She is um, a scientist F at the India Meteorological Department in the Ministry of Earth Sciences, Government of India. She works as an operational meteorologist and uh, uh, cyclone forecaster. She oversees all the operational forecasting. She is also uh, responsible, responsible for the coordination related aspects pertaining to cyclonic storms and depressions forming over the North Indian Ocean and affecting the WMO SCAP uh, panel member countries. And uh, she also carries out duties related to capacity building for operational weather forecasters by imparting classroom teaching classroom trainings to fellow forecasters of IMD. And she also serves as a member of Services Commission Standing Committee on Disaster Risk Reduction and Public Services, uh, early warning system under the WMO. So um, thank you so much, ma'am, uh, for joining us. And we are so grateful that you could uh, join us this morning. Over to you, uh, uh, Sunita. Thank you, Dr. Simi. I'm starting to share my screen and uh, I presume 10 minutes I need to com complete um, yes, my presentation. Yes, 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 10 minutes is fair enough. And yeah. you could also turn on your video uh, and up to you. Okay, so here most of the discussion on uh, last uh, this uh, COVID era cyclones, that is 
what cyclones occurred over the North Indian Ocean during 2020 and 2021. Even uh, towards the end of 19, uh, 2019, we witnessed cyclones, but 2020 cyclones uh, started with cyclone season started with super cyclone Amphan. So how we uh, for started this? Just one second. Mm -hmm. Uh, how uh, the this was uh, the forecast was uh, given disseminated then how the management coordination activities uh, took place so just uh, before going into that detail uh, let us uh, look, have a look at we, even before the covid means cyclones were there all along we do witness cyclones over uh, both bay of bengal basin and arabian sea quite often and the frequency is five per year uh, so similarly we we are witnessing even now and more uh, details i'm not going into but one point here i just wanted to raise is that uh, there there had been a frequency of formation of cyclones more over the bay of bengal and less number over the arabian sea somewhat in the ratio 4 is to 1 when four cyclones form over the bay of bengal only one will be uh, for getting genesis over the arabian sea however of late we are witnessing somewhat higher frequency of cyclones over the arabian sea as well mainly attributed to the fact that uh, due to the, the warming warming uh, this uh, frequency is increasing and at the same time you can see here whatever cyclones forming over the arabian sea they have a natural tendency to move uh, in a west northwestward direction so that either they will be weakening over the sea itself not uh, impacting any major land area or most often it might be crossing oman coast or uh, to the south yemen coast like this this factor also now of late during this past two years especially we have seen a change that is two cyclones were like uh, what uh, the severe cyclone nisarga formed in 2020 and uh, the cyclone uh, toti formed uh, last um, uh, last to last week over uh, the arabian sea both influenced uh, both had made landfall uh, along the west coast so this was another major impact to which part i am entering and um, here already it, it is stated uh, how a multi hazard cyclone is the very uh, best example of a multi hazard scenario cyclones will be generating storm surge then strong winds gale force winds and lot of torrential rainfall this will have cascading impacts on their own uh, influencing the uh, giving a prolonged and long standing socio economic uh, uh, impact on the livelihood lives and livelihood of our coastal population uh in terms of uh, loss of life injuries it creates structural damage it creates all these will have a prolonged uh, impact on our social life societal aspects and economic as well so this is the major part of the cyclone storm and how we are managing mainly now uh, we have a well set plan for early warning system 
so india meteorological department is the agency national agency for providing the warning and uh, we do monitor the system and we issue warnings uh, at least two weeks in advance nowadays warning uh, about the genesis where the genesis is likely to happen whether it is going to intensify into a cyclonic storm at least that much we we are able to tell at least two two weeks in advance nearly and then uh, there will be uh, as the system, uh, we are approaching the period within the five days time span we will be issuing the uh, forecast uh, based on our accurate more and more uh, focused forecast we will be generating and this will be a specific understandable easy to understand uh, format we will be presenting to the users this mornings uh, thus generated will be disseminated to all concerned and uh, uh, bindal sir was talking about the last mile connectivity also we are trying to ensure the last mile connectivity at the uh, most possible uh, manner that also we will discuss so here uh, coordination with emergency response units are also a place a part of the part from the forecast role of the forecaster is there and there will be post event review pre there will be pre cyclone exercises conducted uh then uh, public education and outreach activities also will be there as part of the early warning system so here what we are seeing apart from the four cyclones which came into often referenced by the two prior speakers prior to me there had been two more systems uh, during the covid uh, time only the during the towards the peak of the first wave of covid after the lockdown these two cyclones happened which affected mainly tamil nadu and some parts of andhra pradesh one was the very severe cyclone storm nivar formed in the month of november whose track is shown here how the ndrf battalions are uh, aligning themselves in tamil nadu is shown here uh four different battalions in four uh, strategic locations they are planning their activities here so nivar and burivi they were the two other cyclones which affected during this pandemic so there were there had been total six cyclones we witnessed uh, and uh, this is how the amphan cyclone tracked by paradeep radar uh, and uh, cyclone nisarga it was a severe cyclone which made landfall close to alibag during uh, the month of june 3rd june it made landfall last year similarly at the same time so these tracks how predicted i'm not going to much into much details it was well predicted that's known to all and uh, the precautionary measures even though there had been amphan was um, uh, um, the period of amphan was uh, falling in the uh, major period of the lockdown Uh, period for beginning of the disaster uh, covid disaster that time it happened and even then there had been evacuation proper evacuation activities taking place and uh, also the uh, uh, actually following properly the covid uh, protocol uh, mainly the activities had been ta were taking place but there had been uh, later on instances that the rescue uh, actors Uh, getting uh, affected by covid that that type of uh, situation also we had to face during the amphan time um, and uh, this is the track of nisarga uh, the accuracy i'm showing here uh, the these are the two cyclones uh, in the last this just we completed that is uh, this is an extreme tortie had been an extremely severe cyclone it impacted mainly when the 
for Genesis area had been somewhere close to Lakshadweep Islands. Lakshadweep was impacted. Then Kerala, coming further to the north, Karnataka, there had been torrential rainfall over all these states, along with um, some uh, substantial strong winds, creating causing damage. Then further it moved on, influenced, uh, even though it may, did not make landfall over Maharashtra, but uh, the uh, proximity of the system caused a uh, uh, lot of damage uh, to Maharashtra as well. And uh, here uh, the other tragedy over the uh, offshore activity that, that also happened, the barge sinking of the barge happened over here, claiming several lives. Then it made landfall over Gujarat. Then came uh, the, uh, a week later came uh, the very severe cyclone Yas. So this formed over the Bay of Bengal and made landfall over Odisha coast. Uh, here the system affected initially Andaman Nicobar Islands as well when during its genesis uh, period. Further, when it moved over to moved along the east central part of Bay of Bengal and made landfall over Odisha coast close to Balasore, uh, that time after the landfall, it had uh, affected uh, the states like uh, Odisha, then West Bengal. Uh, these two were the states majorly affected. Further, moving inland, it had affected Jharkhand as well. So, Jharkhand and Bihar also uh, some uh, damages. Uh, encountered out of the system. And uh, from uh, Toti, what happened actually after landfall also system maintained the intensity of a cyclonic storm for uh, some 12 hours further. And it had a movement northeastwards causing rainfall all along its path. Some strong winds also, the, thereby creating damage to the standing crops over uh, these regions, uh, including Gujarat. Gujarat, several mango orchards suffered a lot of damage. Further into Rajasthan, uh, Rajasthan also, there had been uh, some um, uh, standing crop damages and uh, some other, other damages. So like this, uh, these two systems uh, were happened during May 2021. These are the tracks. Just uh, to have a look at, I'm showing here, uh, how the how extremely severe cyclone Tote moved and how the severe, very severe cyclone uh, Yas moved. And uh, the, between these two cyclones, there have been some uh, difference in, um, in the sense that uh, where while Tote was strong in terms of wind, it, it caused. There had been the damage associated with the winds had been quite large, but uh, for as far as uh, Yas is concerned, uh, there had been a lot of rainfall. This, these are the rainfall amounts shown here on day by day. That is the, on the prior day of landfall, uh, uh, some 28 centimeter rainfall had been reported by Chandbadi uh, in um, Bhadrak district in Odisha. Rainfall continued even after landfall for one more day. So there had been extremely heavy rainfall and out of which there had, despite uh, on this full moon day also coincided with this. So the storm tide was slightly aggravated, creating damage to West Bengal, uh, some a few of the districts, uh, East Medinipur, like districts in West, West Bengal as well. And uh, wind speed also associated with the us, if you can see, we have uh, high wind speed recorders all along the coast. Uh, both east and west coast 
and a high wind speed recorder situated at Balasore reported 183 km per hour uh, wind speed at the time, somewhat around the time of landfall, just prior to the time of landfall. Some of the damaged pictures are shown here, uh, no need to spend much time on this. And uh, regarding the warning dissemination part, we are making use of at present whatever available technology, including social media platforms, which uh, serve as uh, a very good uh, handy tool for dissemination. So there are uh, mobile apps developed for the purpose. Uh, so all these uh, available means are made use of along with the common alert protocol developed by NDMA, uh, the GMAS uh, developed by World Meteorological Organization, all these are made use of for dissemination, warning dissemination. And our last mile connectivity insurance assurance for the deep sea area, that is still a concern, but via Gagan and Navik, that also is being uh, attempted to resolve. So here, uh, the, about the reliability of the forecast of the National Met Agency, I'm just showing here a few of the slides. This is quite important uh, to note that uh, we have uh, achieved a remarkable accuracy in, uh, in terms of landfall prediction, uh, intensity prediction, uh, landfall prediction is of the order of some error. If the average error had been 72 kilometer. Um, so pin, almost in, in, in a near pinpointed manner, we are able to forecast. This is quite important in the COVID uh, type of uh, pandemic period, since the evacuation will be taking a lot of, uh, we, we need to ex, uh, extend a lot of struggle in evacuating people. More The more number of people getting evacuated to accommodate them, we, we don't have that much in, infrastructure developed. We have a, a certain number of fixed number of cyclone shelters, but the pandemic was not in our view. So uh, the uh, number of people evacuated, that there, there is certain limitation in order to keep the social distancing part, bring out the social distancing part. Hence, the narrower the uncertainty which, with which we are giving the forecast, the better it is. That much area of the evacuation we can um, avoid, that unnecessary evacuation we can avoid in, uh, by that uh, means. So this is the landfall errors, and here the intensity errors or, uh, and landfall point forecast errors are shown here. And um, so that is here why I am showing the, in the uh, error statistics is because of the fact that the users should start, uh, take uh, believe in this forecast, believe in the forecast of uh, issued by IMD, and uh, not to go with the rumors or uh, any half-cooked um, uh, information, which is made available very easily via social media platforms, blogs, etc. Et People will tend to give wrong information. That also will be adding to our uh, uh, mismanagement in the difficult situation managing the cyclone is a difficult very difficult in this pandemic period at the same time if rumors are adding to it then it will be it will become quite uh, unhandy uh, very very difficult to manage so that is why uh, in not to believe any rumors uh, believe in the national agency uh, who is capable of giving the forecast. That's why I showed this. And uh, our responsibility anyway, it is already known to all. So I am not reiterating this. So the entire North Indian Ocean part, we are giving the forecast. And uh, so here, this short range forecast, uh, it, include, it is based upon uh, 
dynamic uh, statistical guidance as well as various numerical models. Numerical models are run by the organizations under the Ministry of Earth Sciences at uh, IMD, National Center for Medium Range Weather Forecasting located in Noida and in Indian Institute of Tropical Meteorology located at Pune. Along with this, INCOIS, Indian National Center for Ocean Information Services, also provide the storm surge forecasts for the purpose of cyclone warning. So all these are utilized to its maximum efficiency. And this added with the forecaster's expertise, we are providing this forecast. So the various bulletins will be designed and generated. Uh, these are the uh, color code of four warnings in agreement with NDMA, this is uh, taken into. And uh, we are now displaying the track on a GIS platform uh, for making it easier for the uh, users to understand which are all the districts going to get affected. All these things are made available on a GIS platform, interactive GIS-based platform. And impact-based forecast, we earlier we used to do uh, on the basis of past um, disaster, past impacts which occurred in association with a cyclone. But however, now we have we are switching over to dynamic uh, impact-based forecast with the help of a project taken up by NDMA in collaboration with IND. So here uh, they have uh, developed a tool, dynamic tool called Web DCR, a web-based dynamic composite risk atlas decision support system tool for uh, assessing the impact. So if, as and when IMD predicts the track of the system, this tool, uh, this, this track will be fed into this tool. This tool will have in, uh, in its uh, inbuilt, uh, means all uh, data, uh, 2011 census data is fed into this and infrastructure uh, which are available, all are fed into this. So this data is available. This will be, this model will be running and providing the uh, probable impact scenario, generating the impact scenario. This will be aiding the disaster managers in turn to plan uh, for this particular uh, impending disaster. So this is the just uh, to conclude uh, what uh, what we are planning we in the in future we need to look into further into improving the forecast in terms of uh, physics dynamics first of all our observational capability will be enhancing still further and uh, so there is skill uh, scope of improvement in uh, forecast skill with the, all these type of activities and uh, dissemination part. Uh, we'll have to achieve the uh, last mile connectivity uh, through uh, this Gagan and Navik into deep sea, uh, deep sea fisher, fishermen. And uh, anyway, for uh, shipping uh, operations, we are uh, able to be in touch with them via Inmarsat satellite. Uh, then uh, there is common alert for protocol for dissemination as well. And uh, anyway, we are um, continuously striving for further improving the uh, all these activities. That's all for to begin with. Uh, further uh, discussion can take place. So thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Sunita ma'am. Very interesting and uh, very insightful presentation. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll move to uh, Dr. Roxy Matthew Cole uh, as the next panelist. Uh, Dr. Cole is a climate scientist at Indian Institute of Tropical Meteorology at the Ministry of Earth Sciences Government of India. He's currently leading research on uh, uh, climate change, 
how it extends to the rapid warm, uh, warming in the Indian Ocean and impacts the global rainfall pattern, the monsoon and the marine ecosystem. He is the chair of the Climate and Ocean Variability, Predictability and Change, the CLEVAR Indian Ocean Region Panel, and a lead author of the IPCC reports. Dr. Roxy is among the list of top 2% scientists ranked by the Stanford University. Thank you, sir. Uh, it's a privilege for us to have you. Uh, you may please begin your presentation. Well, thanks, Simi, and uh, thanks to NIDM and uh, IMPRI for uh, inviting me to this very important talk uh, where uh, COVID and cyclones collide. And uh, uh, I am quite happy that uh, we are not only talking about the impacts, but also the way forward. Because as, as scientists, many of, many of us are, I mean, we work on uh, how, how how the cyclones are changing, how climate change is impacting us, but it's quite important for us to work on the solutions as well and also to look at the way forward, right? <clears throat> so I would like to uh, start with uh, with the good news part because as, as climate scientists, we often say, okay, uh, the numbers are going up, the, the average temperatures are going up, extreme events are happening as we, as we see almost every day, right? Um, but the good news is, and that can be depressing, but the good news is that with improved monitoring, improved forecasting, like uh, what uh, uh, Dr. Sunila was showing uh, from IMT, and also the, the disaster management has worked out, uh, has improved tremendously during the last several years and worked out perfectly, almost perfectly for, for the coastline of India, right? So we have brought down the number of deaths from cyclone. If you look at uh, the 1999 Odisha cyclone, this was uh, more than two decades back. I was in, I was uh, doing my undergrads in college and that time the, uh, I had no, I, I couldn't fathom the uh, impact of that kind of a cyclone, but tens of thousands of people died as per official numbers and maybe several, several thousands more. And from that five digit number, we have come down to numbers where uh, the number number of deaths due to cyclones are like uh, two digits or maximum three digits during during a cyclone, and that that too uh, probably uh, cases like cyclone Tote where where the warning was not heeded, right? So the the improvement in terms of forecasting, monitoring, and disaster management has uh, has been quite good, and. Another good news is that we have the data and we have the science to prevent the, the disaster that is going to happen. Not, not, not to prevent, but bring down the number of deaths and, uh, uh, and loss to property in the coming years as well. So that is the good news, right? And, uh, but if you talk about climate change, there are several more challenges that are coming up in terms of uh, cyclones as well, in terms of extreme weather events over, over India. And that's what I, I would like to talk about here. And uh, uh, that's where uh, it is quite important that we share uh, data and technology like uh, doc, uh, the Major General Binjal uh, was talking uh, in the start about sharing data and uh, technologies be between different departments. So <clears throat> that is 
quite important. And I, also, I will also talk about uh, convolved events where, where multiple extremes work together in a climate change scenario. And that's what uh, uh, Professor Anil was talking about uh, in, in one of his uh, 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 starting uh, uh, discussion, right? So COVID and climate change, if you, if you look at the curves, uh, we know that or we, we hope, we are expecting that uh, COVID is working on different waves and with uh, proper action, we can uh, flatten the curve and bring, bring down the number of COVID cases. But if you look at climate change, this is not a curve that will come down in our lifetime or in our children's lifetime or even our grandchildren's lifetime. The maximum we can do is to flatten that curve or to stop it from accelerating further. I would like to show that, uh, uh, give a visualization of that scenario. Let me just share my screen. I guess you can you can you can see. Uh, yes, it is visible. Climate hmm. change, and on the on the y-axis you have the number of deaths, and uh, on the x-axis you have the time, and the time is in months or years or centuries in terms of climate change. So maybe COVID might peak, or we have already seen several peaks, two peaks, and maybe the third wave is coming as well. Maybe the third wave can coincide with the cyclones in the next year, we don't know, or in the, in the post-monsoon season, as uh, we have six months more time. And with corrective action, we can bring down that curve and uh, uh, flatten and bring down the number of cases. But if you look at climate change, it's, uh, we are on that upward slope. And this will go on for several years because us nations um, are unable to curb carbon emissions, right? And what is the property of uh, climate change or greenhouse gases? Their lifetime is so long particularly of carbon dioxide, which means that the carbon dioxide we emit now will remain there for hundreds of years. So suppose if we stop all the carbon dioxide emissions today, stopping industries, cars, everything at all, we will still see the carbon dioxide staying there in the atmosphere. Even uh, I, am, I am 40 years old, yeah? And it will take 40 plus more years for at least half of that carbon dioxide to mix in the atmosphere and dissipate from there. Yeah? And it will take much more time, hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries to bring that down to 20%, which means that the impacts are going to stay there and we need to be prepared. And that's the preparedness we are talking about here, right? Let me stop this share. Yeah, perfect. So, uh, and in terms of climate change, where are we? Uh, if, you, if you look at the global mean temperatures during the last uh, few decades, we see that we have reached a 1.2 degrees Celsius and WMO, the World Meteorological Organization, is uh, 
telling that we will reach that 1.5 degree threshold in the uh, in the next few years so should we be concerned is 1.5 a magical number that we suddenly we, we see uh, so many extremes and cyclones coming out uh, popping out especially in the tropical regions and all uh, it is not a magical number we are already on that curve reaching up to 1.5 degrees celsius and we are already feeling the impact in india on our doorsteps so if we if if you ask or if you assess the climate change impact on anyone who was born beyond the year 2000 every single day the temperatures in the temperatures we see the impact of climate change so the generation c that we talk about has not seen a single day of their life without the impact of climate change yeah and this is particularly impact uh, important for india uh, where most of these climate change impacts are coming through the oceans and why is that because more than 93 percent of the heat from uh, additional heat from climate change is being absorbed by the oceans which is why even though we are talking about the impacts on the land in terms of cyclones we need to have some focus on what is happening over the oceans yeah and this heat is being thrown back to us in uh, uh, in the form of cyclones, extreme heavy rainfall events, and all. So uh, our research shows clearly that the number of cyclones, the intensity of cyclones, so the number and the intensity of cyclones have increased significantly, particularly over the Arabian Sea region, where the where the uh, the, the ocean warming is one of the rapidest or the fastest. Yeah. And it's not just the number and intensity of these cyclones, but cyclones are also intensifying rapidly. If you if you take the case of cyclone Tote, cyclone Tote intensified from a weak cyclone, uh, let us call it maybe at maybe 100 kilometer per hour speed uh, for imagining uh, the, the exact numbers uh, Sunida may tell. Uh, and it intensified from a weak cyclone to an extremely severe cyclone almost reaching between 180 kilometer per hour to 220 kilometer per hour based on some estimates <clears throat> and that happened in less than 24 hours so this is a challenge so even though forecast has improved in terms of track landfall uh, time everything uh, we still have challenges in terms of forecasting this rapid intensification of cyclone right so we are expecting that a cyclone will intensify in uh, maybe in the next one or two or three days, but if it is intensifying uh, in one day, <clears throat> that gives a challenge not only to the forecasters, but also to the disaster management team and the public and common man at ground. Because when we are going to sleep, it is a weak cyclone, and when we wake up to a strong cyclone on our doorsteps. So that is the kind of uh, challenge despite the improvements the good news that i talked about that we need to be prepared for and uh, so far we talked about how cyclones are changing but there is an important factor underlying factor again because of climate change and that is where multiple extremes overlap yeah uh, so when cyclone tote came we saw Sunida showed uh, clearly how uh, it started from Leshadeep 
uh, Union Territory of India, then uh, uh, came very close to the west coast uh, of Kerala. She missed the state Goa, Karnataka, Maharashtra, and then Gujarat, right? All the entire west coast. So as the number of cyclones increase in the Arabian Sea, uh, one thing is that uh, even though many tracks might be towards the north northwest, towards Oman and Dole, the chances of many of them coming to too close to west coast of India is much more. And this is going to increase much more in the future. So when these cyclones come very close to, uh, close to the land, they drive strong waves of storm surges. We call them storm surges, pushing, pushing water inland, right? And on top of that, this water, which is flooding the coastland, we have heavy rains also, yeah? Heavy rains, again, flooding the same coastal region. And on top of that, we have a background rising sea level. So there are these three factors. And in the Indian Ocean, sea level is also ri rising fast, even though it's a gradual thing. Now, this played very clearly in terms of the recent two cyclones. Cyclone Tote uh, was, uh, uh, Sridhar was saying, Cyclone Tote, the impact was more in terms of the winds. But if you look at Cyclone Yas on the East Coast, yeah, it was not as as uh, cyclone tote in fact it was maybe in terms of wind speed it was half half the uh, half the wind speed so it was a moderate cyclone but the impact in terms of flooding was quite larger uh, uh, over the east coast in odisha bangladesh and uh, bengal side as well and one of the reasons is the sea level there is much sea level increase is much higher that is one of the northern bay bengal is one of the regions where the sea level rise is the maximum yeah, and these events coincided with a high tide. So that is a multiplier again, thread multiplier. Yeah, and uh, we have several departments like uh, what when we are talking about floods, uh, the the the, the uh, data and uh, uh, the monitoring is handled by different departments. IMD has some uh, measurements of wind speed, rainfall, and all. But when, we, when it comes to floods and all, maybe it's the water department and the local administration uh, in terms of other uh, things. So we need to work on all these aspects together. And also we don't have proper forecasts that integrate all these aspects of combined events. So we are unable to say how much of a flood we will have from these cyclones exactly, right? So that is the future we have to prepare for because future, as I said, this climate change Peak. Uh, we are. It is yet to peak. Maybe it will peak when I am when I am old, when I am 80 years old. And as we saw in terms of COVID, it is the elderly that is most affected, right? It is the elderly that is most affected when the when COVID is is on peak. And similarly, we might be the most affected when climate change is on its peak. And another factor we have to consider in when talking about coastline and uh, do you have two more minutes? I, I just need two more minutes. Yes, yes. Yeah. So another thing to account is many times we account for weather, disasters, everything. But another thing to account for future is the population. Yeah. And the coastal population is going to tremendously increase. Uh, today, Mumbai, Mumbai's population is, uh, I, I'm giving an example, is around 21 million. Yeah? In 2050, 
Mumbai's population will be how much? 42 million, double numbers, 21 to 42 million. So that is the vulnerability. So when population plays with all this, the vulnerability and the risk is multiplied, multiplied several times. So we need to consider all these aspects when we are working for the future. And that includes sharing data between di different departments. And the first step we need to do is, we need to take this available data, but also open up data sharing. But the first step is we need to do a risk assessment for all those regions, especially for cyclones. We need to do a coastal risk assessment for the East Coast and West Coast. I think some kind of risk assessment has been done for the East Coast, but that is only considering the cyclone impact, but not these overlapping elements and probably not with the population considered in. And we need to, uh, based on this coastal risk assessment, we can take appropriate steps forward in terms of uh, what measures we have to take in the future. Uh, it, uh, we can have uh, natural defenses in place. So I, I have been talking about how mangroves used to work excellently for the West Coast and East Coast. Even uh, we saw that working out in Sundarbans last year. So they have a they have a uh, you know nice way of uh, reducing the impact of strong winds. And again, they will regenerate the next year, yeah? So uh, the West Coast like Gujarat, Maharashtra, Goa, Karnataka, Kerala, all these had mangroves and floodplains which have been degraded and lost completely. And uh, if that was there, some of the biodiversity that we lost in, uh, like in Gujarat, so many birds killed, so many, I, I think the lions were also affected in the grid forest, we could have saved them. So that we need to work on that coastal risk assessment and have both natural and artificial defenses. And maybe we might need to rehabilitate these people also from very high risk regions uh, near to the coast. We need early warning systems in place, which uh, uh, include all these aspects, overlapping aspects. And we need uh, women empowerment also. So I'm happy that there are women in this panel discussing uh, both on the climate aspects and the disaster management aspects. So one thing, INCOIS uh, uh, is the center at Hyderabad uh, uh, on ocean observations. What their uh, leaf, uh, one of their reports show, shown is that women are more aware of the disasters, especially when we talk about fisher folks, uh, when the fishermen go out into the sea, they are, the women are able to uh, uh, look into the forecasts and warnings and monitoring the numbers and alert their people uh, in the sea on when uh, cyclones are expected or heavy rains and winds are expected. So there are many ways we can work together. And uh, if you have that in place, if you have that uh, future plan in place, we can have a resilient coastline, we can have a resilient India. Yeah, that is that is the message I have to say, and uh, we can talk more as, as uh, this discussion unravels. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent, sir. Thank you so much for uh, clearly explaining and in very simple terms, but uh, very uh, difficult concepts also on the overlapping elements of so many uh, natural disasters. So really thankful to you. Uh, so now I would like to move on to Dr.
uh, Srija M. Unni. And uh, just to briefly introduce to you, she is a um, hazard analyst with the Kerala State uh, Disaster Management Authority. And uh, she has coordinated uh, emergency operations, including COVID-19 response, uh, Kerala flood 2018-19, etc., from emergency operations center, disaster risk reduction activities, such as you know, school safety program, uh, hospital safety program, etc. Dr. Srija has also worked with the Maharashtra State Disaster Management Authority, also with the District Disaster Management Authority in Thane District, and was also responsible for the preparation of the Thane Disaster uh, District Disaster Management Plan. And uh, she was also involved in the Tata Institute of uh, Social Sciences project on Nepal earthquake relief and conducted rapid assessment, rapid need assessment for the survivors of the Dharding District of Nepal by identifying vulnerable population, such as widows, differently able people. So thank you so much, ma'am, for joining us. And we look forward to hearing from you. Over to you, ma'am. Thank you. Um, can I share my screen? Please do. Hey, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, uh, I hope Anasa is there, um, so, and all the other panelists. Uh, and thank you, NIDM and IMPRDI, IMPRI, sorry, um, for giving me this platform. So um, I would like to, um, because I'm a disaster management professional, I would like to, um, analyze it in a disaster management point of view. So coming to the biological disasters, um, I think I have only 10 minutes, right? So the initial parts I will just rush. So biological disasters, um, you know, NIDM is the first organization in India. In uh, 2008 itself, NIDM has uh, given a guidelines for managing the, um, biological disasters. And uh, they have given a clear guidelines on what is a biological disaster. And in that also, um, a pandemic, um, a, a brief uh, note about pandemic was also given. So uh, it was quite surprising after so many years uh, and pandemic is actually happening. And uh, most of the things which is mentioned in the uh, guidelines of biological disasters, we, uh, we currently use it. So yeah. Uh, so coming to the um, severe acute uh, respiratory syndrome, uh, that is uh, SARS-CoV-2, uh, uh, it was, uh, we all know it um, uh, originated in China and um, in 2019. And later in, in India, it was uh, first diagnosed in Kerala on uh, 30th March, uh, sorry, 30th January 2020. And that is the day in which uh, WHO declared uh, COVID as a public health emergency of international concern and later um, uh, they declared it as a uh, pandemic. So coming to the um, uh, management part of the um, COVID, uh, the control measures were done. That is the uh, lockdowns, um, travel restrictions were there. Uh, lockdown, which, uh, which happened in three phases, uh, on a total span of around 68 days, 68 days, uh, the lockdown was there and it affected uh, everyone's life, uh, we all know. 
coming to the stakeholder coordination, uh, usually we always think that a biological disaster is more of a um, work, uh, more sort of work of a uh, health department. But uh, the coming to the pandemic, this is the first situation in which the, all the other departments, including labor department uh, or civil supplies department uh, or um, the transportation department was having a huge role in um, managing this uh, biological disaster. The, uh, coming to the, again, um, regard, um, regarding the second um, disaster, that is the cyclone, um, in the last one year, in um, in the Arabian Ocean and um, I mean Arabian Sea and in the Bay of Bengal, like in the Indian Ocean, uh, we uh, from Kerala we have faced around four cyclones, uh, but actually around five cyclones happened in North Indian uh, North Indian Ocean, and four depressions or dep uh, depressions happened in the uh, in last year. Uh, and in that, uh, and in this year, in 2021, uh, just one year of uh, this uh, cyclone phase, already two cyclones happened, uh, already uh, ma'am mentioned about it. So I'm not going into it. Coming to the multiple disasters or cascading disasters, um, there, uh, usually it will be like two disasters happening or two hazards happening in a linear phase that is uh, a covid or and an industrial accident or uh, or a, a covid or a cyclone happening simultaneously but when these uh, two disasters happen simultaneously its cascading impact is uh, is uh, huge and the primary um, disaster that is the covid and the secondary uh, second one that is the uh, uh, the cyclone, it can lead to other complex vulnerabilities also, uh, such as uh, if there is critical infrastructure failure, it could escalate to very complex emergencies, uh, such as if there is um, oxygen shortage in hospitals and such other emergencies it could lead to. So uh, multiple disasters and overlapping disasters, it can have very, um, very cascading effects on, on the population. Uh, coming to the risk drivers, we all know um, the vulnerabilities, different vulnerabilities of uh, disasters. That is the, uh, we all know about the poverty, inequality, uh, inequality, even um, especially um, the, when, uh, when, it, uh, when we consider about the um, fishermen folks, fishermen community, who are, uh, who are the most vulnerable population of uh, cyclone, they will be. Uh, they are living along the coastal line, so definitely their livelihood, their life is uh, impacted, uh, are at risk uh, during uh, a cyclone. But uh, it also impacts, uh, like their life is always uh, also at stake during uh, uh, normal COVID time also, because uh, COVID uh, it usually um, uh, increases the cases increases if the density of the population is more. You know, so um, usually the fishermen fox due to various reasons, they will be densely populated, uh, they'll be living in densely populated area. So definitely these are risk dri uh, drivers, both for um, the cyclones as well as for the um, uh, COVID cases. Climate change already sir has mentioned about it. Uh, unsustainable development, uh, improper use of land, uh, land use, um, uh, it's it's uh, it, that have a very serious impact on uh, have a very big risk element on um, the uh, cyclones. 
then uh, i have already mentioned about the po population density inadequate healthcare system uh, already the uh, healthcare system in india uh, we all know there are not sufficient uh, beds for the patients uh, for the population there are not sufficient doctors or other uh, supporting staffs um, and uh, with uh, with the new um, rising covid um, situations or other disasters the health healthcare system uh, are at their surge capacity they are at their maximum capacity and uh, if there is a cascading disaster or multiple disasters happening the um, total healthcare system could collapse so that is one thing uh, one of the major risk drivers um, in case of uh, for uh, cyclone and um, covid also uh, when it comes to multiple hazards um, hazards we can uh, think about the inadequate preparedness uh, in uh, 2020 the last year uh, kerala state disaster management authority have prepared an orange book uh, which is uh, an um, which is a guidance uh, book which uh, for every uh, stakeholder departments for managing um, monsoon or uh, cyclone related um, uh, there is any emergency need but even though it is it was there that uh, initially we had this four system, four types of camps in which the people could be accommodated if the if they have to be shifted from their houses uh, first one was for the general public the second one was for um, adults uh, i mean the elderly people uh, who who are more at uh, more vulnerable uh, to covid situations so the second type of camp was for the um, elderly population then the third type of camp was for the um, uh, people who were at quarantine um, but who are not diagnosed or having uh, who are not having any kind of symptoms and the fourth uh, type of uh, camps were uh, for uh, people who were having covid symptoms uh, but are not tested positive so these four types of camps we have established and we collected data but uh, but later we understood that um, we didn't get enough time to train or the uh, or the people who are at the ground who actually have to do the work they were not sufficiently trained uh, to carry out it in the same manner so uh, all this uh, even though the preparedness are happening at a um, state level it may not penetrate to a deeper level so that is the, uh, that is the thing i want to uh, show in the inadequate preparedness um, thing Uh, then the lack of uh, lack of capacity building and training initiatives usually before the monsoon or before the um, uh, the cyclone seasons uh, there will be a capacity building or training activities which will be happening at uh, district level or state level but uh, due to various reasons including uh, covid because uh, those time last year it was uh, mostly um, lockdown and um, every every department officials were busy with using um, so proper capacity building and training activities were not done um, couldn't be done it is i'm not saying uh, talking about kerala alone but that was a situation in most part of the country then uh, the burnout of the um, uh, frontline workers the frontline workers which are, uh, who are working since the um, uh, even before diagnosing uh, covid that is uh, when covid cases were reported uh, in china uh in the um the beginning of Jan january yes uh, during the in the beginning of january that time itself the kerala state disaster management authority and also the health department were actively uh, checking for patients um, pe uh, sorry people who were coming from china um, and were testing them actively so um, uh, that is why on 30th the very first case could be identified and could be isolated and treated uh, 
but uh, since then that is from the january the uh, workers the frontline workers are continuously working uh, and uh, it's it's like a tremendous work not only the health department i'm not talking only about the health department but also the police uh, the fire and safety officials or the revenue staff uh, labor department, uh, the migrant labor movement, uh, laborers uh, were moving from uh, the from Kerala or, uh, or uh, from uh, metro cities also. They were moving back to the rural areas. So uh, all the frontline workers were working tirelessly, and uh, by uh, and most of them, uh, what what happens is that um, by the time an emergency such a phase comes, uh, most of them were burned out. And also there was stigma associated. I'm not very sure about how much uh, it is um, there because uh, uh, last year we had an um, uh, aircraft accident uh, and uh, the, uh, the people who are the victims were saved by people who were living nearby the airport. So um, I'm not saying that always there's stigma associated with rescue activity, but still, uh, we always have this doubt that uh, whether the victims are COVID positive, um, whether we can uh, save them without the PPE kit. So all these kinds of fear are still there with all of us. So, uh, and coming to the impact of these uh, double disasters, uh, I, uh, physical impact, we all know um, uh, the I'm talking about mostly about the cyclones and how it is impacting uh, other um, the along with COVID it is impacting. So um, regarding the physical impact, um, there are uh, around 10% of the hospitals in India are um, are in flood prone areas. So if there is a, a storm surge or if there is a heavy flooding, um, these hospitals need to be evacuated, and it's not a very easy task, especially when the patients are in ventilator or uh, they need oxygen supply. So um, that is a very, um, uh, uh, that, that physical impact or that uh, vulnerability or that uh, risk element is very huge. Uh, and uh, regarding um, other physical uh, impacts includes um, the disruption of the, uh, the roads or bridges uh, due to uh, cyclones. Uh, the, if there is a disruption in the roads, uh, definitely the pay, uh, transportation of the patients and also transportation of essential food items or PPE kits or, um, or everything will be uh, disrupted um, due to uh, this uh, physical impact. Uh, I'm not uh, taking too much time because I think, uh, can I talk for some more time? Like, yes, please. Yes, time. it's fine. Uh, socially, uh, coming to the social impact, uh, the first and foremost uh, people who are affected due to um, a cyclone are fishermen community. Uh, but uh, they are not really, uh, their livelihood are lost, their um, life is at stake because uh, sometimes uh, these uh, fishermen will go into the sea for around 10 days and we may not be able to communicate with them uh, regarding if there is a warning coming in, uh, the state level authorities or district level authorities may not be able to communicate to the, all the fishermen folks out there. So that is one major uh, problem and they will be impacted severely. Uh, and uh, migrant labors also. Um, we, uh, we have seen what happened uh, during the uh, first lockdown uh, where uh, people from the metro cities were migrating back to um, their um, rural areas. Uh, in, uh, from Kerala itself, uh, around 2 lakh people 
traveled from Kerala, uh, once the unlock started, they migrated back to move back to um, their um, native places. Uh, so that was one of the major, uh, like their movement and the, the way it uh, disrupts their social system. That is one uh, thing. Um, then uh, coming to the uh, health sector, uh, health sector are already in the um, in their search phase. That uh, they they have already in their search capacity. They have in, um, increased their bed capacity or the ventilator capacity or the oxygen capacity the, to the maximum. Uh, and once a, uh, once uh, the cyclone is hit, uh, first moving them out is uh, one task. Another is um, the, if the patients uh, more patients are brought in from uh, due to cyclone. The, uh, there may not be places to accommodate the patients and even for the dead body. Um, uh, it, it's, uh, we may think it as a small thing, but um, respect to the dead bodies is one major thing uh, we consider as important. If there are around 90 deaths um, in one particular place, there may not be even sufficient place to keep them and their dead bodies in the um, mortuary. So these kind of impacts are there due to the double uh, disasters. Economic impact, again, we know um, the way uh, migrant workers are going back, all the businesses, uh, all the um, prime, uh, the secondary um, tertiary level, uh, all the um, business, everything will be disrupted. Also, uh, in, in case of Kerala, uh, the, there are lots of immigrant population who are, who are now coming back from uh, the uh, um, abroad because they have lost their jobs or their visa expired. And this is going to have a, a long-term economic impact on Kerala and also um, India. So uh, coming to the psychosocial impact, um, we all know um, children are the worst affected um, uh, community uh, right now because uh, their education for the last one year, they were not um, going to school and more than that, um, the exams are getting postponed, regular, uh, like um, they don't know when it's going to happen. So it's going to have tremendous psychosocial impact on them. Uh, so uh, these are the things I, I can tell us and other things we can discuss during the uh, panel discussion. Sure, so, thank you. Uh, thank I'm you. not going into the way forward because I think there is another three minutes. Yes, yes. Thank yeah, you. So Thank you. You have really pointed out uh, the impact of the double disasters, and especially because you've also worked upon uh, the implications of such disasters in the uh, in the Nepal earthquake and upon the vulnerable population. So definitely your views are uh, really uh, insightful. So now we'll come to the uh, academic assessment and especially from someone who belongs to Odisha, which has uh, been one of the badly hit, uh, hit states by YAS, uh, Dr. Chandrasekhar uh, Bahinipati, sir. Uh, he's an assistant professor at the Indian Institute of Technology, Tirupati, Andhra Pradesh. And uh, his, his major research interests are on climate change economics, behavioral behavioral economics, uh, natural resource management, and development economics. And uh, he, in all these areas, he has published extensively uh, in uh, research journals like uh, food security, land use policy, uh, climate and development, and so on. And uh, previously, he has carried out several research projects that, has been, that have been sponsored by the ICSSR, uh, Sandy Asia Pacific 
Pacific Network for Global Change Research, International Institute of Environment and Development, GIZ India. And um, uh, he is currently also involved in various uh, projects related to climate change adaptation, household energy loss and damage assessment, COVID-19 uh, sponsored um, uh, COVID-19 sponsored by uh, ICSSR for Institute for Global Environmental Strategies, uh, OECD, etc. So it is very pertinent that uh, your views are incorporated as we discuss uh, this double disasters. So uh, thank you for joining us and uh, thank you for listening to all the panelists so patiently. And I think you have enough room to speak your, um, uh, your to present your, to make your remarks. Sir, over to you. Sir, please unmute, please. Yeah, thank you, Simi. So, am I audible? Yes, you are, sir. Okay, let me share my screen. Okay, so hopefully, you might be able to see the screen. Or I have to make it full screen? Yes, full screen. You can go full screen. Yeah, so now it is fine? Yes, 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 sir. Okay, so thank you both uh, NITM as the IMPRI Impactful Policy Research Institute for inviting me for this uh, webinar. So thanks to my previous speakers who basically talked about the impact of cyclone as the COVID-19. So they're mostly focusing on the how the cyclone is occurring and what could be the impact of the cyclone. So I would like to focus on the other side of it that's basically the response to cyclone as of the COVID-19, basically uh, taking towards which basically untouched or unnoticed so far, the reflection on the learning effects as of the behavioral issues. So what I'm, so what I'm, so what I'm this is could be the structure of my presentation. I'll take you the introduction cycling storms, then I, I could talk about the COVID-19 and behavioral issues and concluding remarks. So I've taken some part of the presentation from my recent work, which is basically ongoing with my two research students, uh, basically Dinamani Biswala and Manalisa Singh. So as you know that, yeah, of course we know that Odisha is the capital of disaster, but if you look at the natural disaster occurring in India, uh, you see that climate induced rapid and slow onset disasters are increasing. If you look at the frequency of the disasters are increasing over the years. And you look at the reported statistics basically given by the disaster management authority or the revenue and disaster management department or the government agencies or the international agencies, basically you'll notice that few economic and uh, few economic and non-economic loss and damages are reported. Still, we are not recognizing, we are not, there's many non-economic loss and damages are not reported, unnoticed. So that's the here the question is that the figure we're getting at the end in terms of rupee, either it could be lakh, billion, or crore, but there's a still underestimated figure. Because still we're not able to recognize or not able to notice or not able to report so many non-economy loss and damage indicators, even few economic indicators also. So given that limitation, if you look at that, okay, what could be the economic loss from the various natural disasters? So an economic loss is around 55.62 billion US dollar from natural disasters from 1964 to 2012, which could be on an average US dollar 1.2 billion per year. So if you look at the, over the years, what is happening? 
So 1970s was around 2.92 billion, but it's increased to 5.92 billion in 1980s, US dollar 18.41 billion in 1990s, and US dollar 23.74 billion in 2000. But flood and cyclone are the major disasters. Now we're talking more on the cyclone and flood and cyclone. But so on the cyclone, if you look at the total amount of loss from the natural disasters, what could be the share of the cyclone could be 21%. But please remember that this could be much higher. Now, most often, recently, and off late, we are reporting the economy loss and damage figures. If you go back 1960s and 1970s and 1980s, most of the disasters will find that the economy loss and damage figures are not reported. That could be the major, that could be the another region that's why we are getting the less uh, let me let me mention that so in case of drought, we'll get a very less share because that's not reported. So if you look at the impacts from the natural disasters, my right hand side, you'll see that there's increasing drain from natural disaster as the cyclone storms. Okay, it shows that clearly shows that yes, the impact from this economic impact from the cyclones are increasing over the years. But the con for me, the confusing and the surprising part of it, if you look at the figures, three figures in the down, which basically have taken from the uh, Odisha. Look at the first figure, the reported economy loss and damages, which is increasing. See, there is a kind of belief that, suppose economy loss and damages are increasing. General belief that, okay, suppose, suppose uh, there's a super cyclone, you'll get a more amount of loss and damage. Suppose there is a very less, uh, suppose there is a depression or uh, cyclic storm with less intensity, you'll have a less economy loss and damages. It shows that suppose your economy loss and damages are high and means that intensity is high, intensity from that disaster is high. It's expected that we should, we should lose more lives. But if you look at the middle second figure, the middle one, the ratio of lives lost reported to economic loss and damages is declining. That could be not surprising to me. So I was looking at that. So why it is happening? If you look at the third figure, the reported people affected, it's increased. It's not increasing. It's just a, uh, not increasing significantly like the uh, in, uh, economic damage. I was looking at this. What is happening? We are able to protect our lives, not the livelihoods and infrastructure. That's basically convey the message that we are able to protect the lives because we are able to save the lives of the people, not the live load as the economic infrastructure. So that is happening in the state of Odisha, uh, in, in addition to other states. That's why the government of Odisha is you know, claiming for the last four or five disasters that there, that is the no casualty. Okay, that's why they're able to success. They're able to best disaster manage, uh, best disaster manager in terms of reducing or in terms of reaching the level that zero casualty. But what about the lives, what about the livelihoods and the economic loss and damages? These are basically in process. Now, basically, now they're looking at the uh, livelihood as the economic loss and damage infrastructure because now they're talking about the climate resilient infrastructure. Because this time the meeting happened, I think, last week with the Prime Minister, they're basically demanding that there should be a, a sea dike across the Odisha coast as well as the protecting the infrastructure like the resilient. Uh, uh, electricity connection, registered infrastructure with respect to electricity. Now they're thinking about the, because they know that the best disaster manager in terms of saving the lives, not the infrastructure. Just now they're basically, I'm happy that, now they're basically looking at the, how they can save or protect the infrastructure because making the climate resilient. So if you look at this, uh, so some of the figures I brought from the Odisha also again. See, if you look at that, 
So where in the first figure, which is the extreme left, which basically I look at the relationship between the production you are vulnerable with respect to the poverty, headcount ratio in the 2010-11 information, you'll see that if the poverty increases, okay, the vulnerability level also increases. Okay, if the poverty increases, the vulnerability level increases. You go down the uh, left-hand side, the down figure, you'll see that uh, the relations between vulnerability and SDI calculation based on the 2011 data, you'll see that when SDI basically increases, vulnerability level decreases. This shows that, this can be the message that suppose you increase the income or the livelihood or the standard of living or the other indicators or the social indicators in the particular district or particular village or the communities, so therefore they'll be less vulnerable. Apart from, so it's, I'm talking about the reducing the impact on the infrastructure on the livelihood. So basically, you have a better prediction, which basically tells that okay, you can save the lives. But you want to, if you want to save the livelihood as the infrastructure, basically you have to improve uh, the standard of living of the people and other social indicators. Those are basically could be a spillover effect for reducing the loss and damages. So while looking at the right hand side, two figures. So here basically I'm looking at the per capita nested domestic product with respect to the average of percentage of people affected. So it's, it could be surprising to me, the, again, the last figure, the light and side, which basically talking about the uh, per capita nested domestic product at constant price, looking at the economy loss and damages. Uh, looking at the state-wise figure, it shows me that with increasing the income, number of people are getting more affected, and with increasing the income, your economy loss and damages are increasing means yes that with increasing income you're basically which basically matthew call was pointing out dr matthew call was pointing out that in mumbai city so because in 2050 you have more population means that with increasing income with a, uh, increase, because if you look at the coastal india with increase the industrialization as the other social indicators more people are the density of population also increasing as well as the, the in there in that place in the vulnerable place you have more economic infrastructure to lose so that's why as long as you are not making them as climate resilient you're not making them as climate resilient you are likely to lose uh, likely to see bigger number in terms of economic loss and damage as number of people affected okay so now coming back to the learning effects because now coming back to the a point which is basically raised by the matthew call about the how will you estimate the impact you should think of the population? So what we have found here, there's two kinds of factors basically derive with loss and damage. This one is the climatic factors, basically the intensity of loss and damage. Another factor is the socioeconomic loss and damages. So if you basically remove, basically that's paper I published in 2016, taking the uh, information from Odisha, as published regional and model change. Basically, if you look at that, uh, removing the effects of climate change, Okay, from the impact of figures, you'll see that results are the, it could be declining, or it could be not increasing. It seems that apart from the climate factors, socioeconomic factors plays a major role. So that's why I still rated that we should think of the climate resilient infrastructure. As long as, long as we don't think of that, whatever may be the information, whatever the IMD is doing best providing the information or the exact prediction, it may help us to basically save our lives, not the live load and the infrastructure, not the economic infrastructure. And other points, which basically I point out in my two papers, 
which are published, basically talking about the learning effect, whether basically we learn from the previous disasters. Okay, because in the 1999 super cyclone, so we basically in Odisha, 10,000, we lost around 10,000 lives. But the cyclones happens in the, after the 1999, the last decade, the three, four cyclones, we're basically having the zero casualty because people have learned, because suppose now in the 99, it was very difficult to convince, maybe that kind of infrastructure was not there. And on the other hand, it's very difficult to convince the people that, okay, you should go to the safety place. Now, if you tell the people that okay, you should go to the safety place, they're now they're willing to move to the safety place or the cyclone shelters, but it was not possible. That. So that's why we basically learn, that's evidence shows that we basically learn from the previous disasters. So that's my, the point is that uh, from the cyclone point of view, looking at the way forward, which basically the government of Odisha is now talking about the climate resilient infrastructure. Now we should look at the climate resilient infrastructure to protect as live load as well as the economic infrastructure. So coming to the COVID-19. So let me not go back to that. Many people are already focused, uh, talk about the COVID-19 because uh, let me just give you some figure. In the country started lockdown in March 24, 2020, when there's a first wave. Okay, the stringent lockdown. We have seen the lockdown for two, three months, the lockdown period in the first wave. Now still we're on many states have already imposed lockdown in the second wave. So now my question is, but the lockdown or shutdown really helpful, really basically effective to reduce the number of infections could be because uh, I, because it's not possible to test it because you don't have counterfactual information. As long as you don't have counterfactual information, we can't estimate the effectiveness. But looking at only the information you have, okay, what the number of infection uh, when there's basically lockdown is imposed. Look at the figure in the left. Chandra sir, can you hear me? Uh, Chandra sir, if you are able to hear me, you can just exit and then perhaps rejoin. Uh, sorry, it was disconnected for me. Yes, yes, no issues. Yes. So how much time do I have? Sir, uh, another, say, two, three minutes. That's okay. Yeah, okay, I'll just finish it. Uh, so it is, I'm also showing the state-wise figures for the some of the most affected states, which are also showing the similar trend, which are which are observed in case of India. So I was doing another research now with the IGS looking at the number of confirmed cases in Bhuvaneswar city as of the Kotaki in Odisha. You'll see that in the first wave, it was again increasing and declined. Now in the second wave, still in the increasing trend in the, because I have updated it up to May 16, 2021. It starts, just collected the information from June 8, 2020. 
Uh, so now that my question is, I'm focusing on the behavioral issues. Okay, the two issues I'm focusing on, one is the migrant laborers, because you know that when there's a first wave started, there's a chaos in the Delhi, Mumbai, Surat, and many places, the migrant workers want to back to their homestead. Why it happened? Okay, the first one is the, they basically, there are many other issues. Okay, I'm not denying that, but I'm just focusing on what could be the issues from the behavioral point of view, one is the base rate neglect. Because as you, uh, that time, if you look at the number of people infected, the percentage of number of people in, infected, which could be very low, because based on the figures from China or other Euro European countries, it could be very low. But uh, uh, when you make a decision, because people are not making the decision based on the probability of being infected or probably being died because of the COVID-19. And then send the hard behavior, it's a group behavior. Suppose a group of people, wants to back to their homestead. Then other people will think that, okay, that other group of people are uh, planning to back to their homestead or home village. So I'll also move because they also believe that, uh, yes, they might not be doing the wrong decision. I, let me follow them. And similar things happening, the hard behavior is basically happening in case of vaccination. Because why the most of the people in the rural India are not interested to take vaccination because they're looking at the other people, what they're doing. They're looking at, okay, that most of the people are not interested to take vaccination, vaccine. So that's why they're following them. Okay, I'll also not take it. That basically, so whatever the top-down approach here, that government is providing the vaccination and you know, vaccination to be telling that people who come the vaccination, do the vaccine. As long as we are not addressing these behavioral issues, I don't think we can able to actually the 100% vaccination. Then is the anchoring and reference point. Basically, people look at the anchoring and reference point and the availability bias. People look at the information is provided to them, immediate information. When they look at that, uh, during the first wave, people look at that, uh, there's always 24-7 talk in the media, online media, social media about the COVID-19, something social stigma to them. That kind of information that okay motivate them to basically make a chaos in the Delhi. So second thing that, why people are not following the social distancing or physical distancing? Because if you look at that number of, because I'm monitoring now in Odisha, all the districts of the municipality corporation like Bones and Katak. So I found that every day, most number of people are basically fined because of not observing social distancing and physical distancing. Why? In the last one year we have been talking that, okay, there is a COVID-19, the impact of COVID-19, they observe that, they realize that, but still they are not following that. One is that high discount rate, basically how people discount the benefits of the future. Suppose you obey the physical distancing, basically you realize the benefit tomorrow, adapt to tomorrow, or the, down the line one month or two months. Basically, always people are giving the high discount towards the sooner reward rather than over the larger ones in the future. The reward is that because I'll go to the market, I'll go to the, my friend and that kind of pleasure and that kind of uh, utility I get to going to the market or going to meet my friends, have a party with my friends. So basically uh, that kind of utility I get is just, I give more weight to that rather than a benefit I could get because of the social distancing. Okay. I know uh, sometimes people are basically optimistic about their health. They believe that, okay, nothing will happen. Suppose I went out, uh, so nothing happened. I just went out and after 15 days, I realized nothing had happened. Then I believe that, okay, nothing is happening to me. And overconfidence bias. Some people are like, okay, nothing will happen to me because there is a statistic tell that around 85% uh, don't need a uh, medical admission or the some 0.1% people are 
tired because authority upon some piece of that. So nothing will happen. That's overconfidence bias. Okay. And there could be a status quo bias. Basically, status quo bias tells us that uh, basically some festivals, some rituals. Okay. So he's basically people try to obey that because now I've uh, seen that some festivals are coming in Odisha. So people are basically going out to uh, purchase the commodities because that's basically the status quo. They basically uh, they basically don't want to deviate from that status quo. The, no, they want to follow that rituals. Okay, in marriage, okay, the most of the marriage cases, most of the funerals, you'll see that they're basically violating the social basically norms. Why? That's a status quo bias. They don't want to violate that. So this could be the concluding remarks, which basically I have already discussed. So given the short time, I'll just end it here. Thank you, Simi. Father. Thank you, sir. Thank you uh, for this uh, wonderful analysis of uh, loss and damage figures that you have provided. So I will not uh, take more time. Uh, so we'll go quickly go to the next round wherein uh, there are a few questions. Uh, and if uh, please feel free to reflect on, uh, on uh, the remarks made by other panelists also, if uh, you feel so. And uh, uh, to, to begin with the uh, to begin with the way forward round, I would also pitch in a few questions that are that I feel are quite relevant. To, and then you can merge it with the way forward. So uh, Sunita ma'am, uh, how important it is or how do you see international cooperation uh, in, in, in your area of work uh, in, uh, in ensuring that there is uh, better warning uh, systems in place and if it is there and how is India helping out to its neighboring uh, countries, especially maybe Maldives, Sri Lanka, which are already low-lying areas. So if you could talk about that and also uh, some of the way forward that you think is important. Sunita, ma'am. Ma'am, can you unmute if you're able to hear me? Okay, so never mind. I think ma'am is trying to reconnect. Arjun, if you could check with ma'am. And um, so, uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I can give a little bit of uh, additional information on that, not specifically on how we can provide. I think you were talking about how we can provide forecasts and everything for. Uh, South Asian countries, uh, especially since uh, IMD is uh, focusing on um, the Northern Indian Ocean region, right, as, as a major forecasting agency. And I think that's that's an important way forward because uh, uh, we have excellent forecasting facilities which uh, can which provides local information uh, which can be helpful for all the South Asian countries in the Indian Ocean rim. And uh, this can be used by other other uh, other countries like Bangladesh, uh, um, uh, Myanmar, and all where cyclones or Pakistan where uh, cyclones or extreme uh, weather events manifest. But there is more uh, important international cooperation uh, required that I want to talk about. So uh, whether it is monitoring or forecasting, it is quite important that uh, we need. Uh, uh, we uh, importantly we need observations, yeah, because uh, observations over the ocean, land, and the air in the atmosphere, which 
are data that is fed to uh, these climate or weather models for their forecast. So without these uh, obs observations in the ocean and land, uh, we cannot have this forecast. So the, and the accuracy of this forecast very well depend on the monitoring as well. Yeah, but we have gaps over there. For example, uh, if you want to forecast the monsoon or the cyclone, we need very high resolution uh, data over the Indian Ocean. We call it the Indian Ocean Observing System. And there are many sustained observing systems in the Indian Ocean. And half of this is funded by the US. About 20, 25% is supported by India and other countries like China, Japan, Korea, and neighboring countries are also part of it, which means international co uh, collaboration and cooperation is quite important. But these fund, funds are flattening while the operational costs are increasing. And there are many gaps. And COVID ha has made some, some challenges there also. Some of these observations, uh, monitoring systems in the Indian Ocean, which are quite essential for cyclones and monsoon, uh, got uh, stopped working during the last several months or were damaged yeah when sometimes cyclone comes and they damage the systems uh, there was a uh, uh, observing platform called a mooring uh, in the bay of bengal uh, when one of uh, which recorded very high seas ocean temperatures uh, which are again going into the monitoring and forecasting system this this also stopped working yeah and because of covid uh, the agencies were not able to uh, service these instruments uh, at, the, at the right time. And we have many gaps because of those challenges as well. And there are many other gaps also, which I'm not getting into. So we need to improve our monitoring system so that we have better forecasting and also better uh, understanding of how these extreme events work on. And also there's a, uh, an important aspect here, uh, which is connected to our coastal or exclusive economic zone. So the data over there is not public, yeah? Even the scientific hydrological data, yeah? Which should be public, in my opinion, so that global agencies and Indian agencies can use this for monitoring how the weather systems work, how extreme events like cyclones work, uh, 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 along the coastal, coastal uh, and economic zones, and this is this requires regional partnership from India and other neighboring countries very much, right? And uh, so that is one thing we have to work on with regional partnership and strategies. Yeah, but I think Sunita is here, so uh, she can uh, give yes. more. So just to add to your views on your point on EEZ, uh, there is a lot of uh, deep sea drilling and mining that is going on. And then you had connected with the oceanic warming. So do you think that this is, uh, this is also a contributor to the uh, climate change implications, as you were saying, the 40-year period? And will, will this have any uh, impacts? Well, not directly. Deep sea drilling will not directly impact climate change immediately uh, be, uh, in terms of temperatures and all. But there is one thing, yeah, because this uh, a lot of carbon is absorbed by the ocean, yeah, and these are absorbed by microscopic plants called phytoplankton, yeah, and uh, these phytoplankton when they fade off, when they die, they settle as debris 
in the sediments in the ocean floor and that is one way the carbon is absorbed by the oceans so when we disturb without studying without understanding okay these are thousands and millions of years of carbon uh, in the uh, in the in the in the bottom of the ocean that is stored so in time uh, in long term this can be a disturbance if you don't do it wisely and also it can there are many organisms and uh, marine uh, creatures living out there which are dependent on that uh, bottom flora so those are we need more information more studies on that when we are going for the drilling also right thank you sir thank you so much uh, sunita ma'am Yes, sorry. Yes, uh, yes that's okay. Uh, you were on a telephone call. No problem, ma'am. Uh, so, ma'am, if you could talk about uh, the way forward on how to strengthen the um, strengthen the forecasting and also coordination aspects, um, so that we reduce the imp impacts of um, such natural disasters. If you could talk about that, and also, do you? Uh, and it is i'm just curious to know whether you know, the cloud bursts that uh, happen are they also can you also um, forecast it or uh, is there any way so that uh, the disasters that it leads to uh, are also minimized yeah first of all uh, regarding improving the cyclone forecast we need more and more observations observations within the cyclone in fact that if that is not available, that is the uh, we'll, what we'll call the aircraft reconnaissance flights. If we are able to do that, perform that uh, sort of observations from the core of, of, from the wall cloud region at least of the cyclone, then that would add to our uh, modeling uh, capability and enhance the understanding of physics. Then only we can uh, improve our forecasting of cyclones. Otherwise, we have come to a plateau uh, type of st state now. Whatever we have achieved so far, without this sort of uh, reconnaissance flights, it may not be. It may be difficult to improve it. So that is the one as first one. Then about the cloudburst thing you are asking, it is a very difficult situation to predict uh, in, in much in advance. Now cast mode, we can go ahead. We have installed several uh, Doppler weather radars over the hilly terrain, mainly the, there uh, that is happening over Uttarakhand, Himachal Pradesh, that, that sort of regions. There uh, with the help of radars and uh, rapid refresh cycle of uh, modeling, uh, which is at present we have taken up, that sort of thing, radar data go, go in just getting ingested into the models, we may be able to in future, in future, may in the within the now cast range, it will be possible. Otherwise, uh, this is a difficult thing. But thing is that uh, we need pre-means uh, resilient sort of resilient building. That is the essential part of it. Forecast, there is a limit to go for uh, how much ever we are forecasting. We are unable to uh, uh, prevent the property loss and structural damage. So that is where uh, the resilience building comes into play. There we need to give our emphasis, our focus now. So you talked about the aircraft re reconnaissance flights yeah. we need. So uh, why haven't, I mean, uh, that is a, another discussion altogether, but um, 
are there um, best practices around the world uh, from where we can learn and also how i mean why are we not able to move towards this uh, what is stopping us there yeah. is uh, there had been plans for aircraft this needs a first of all it requires a very highly uh, very strong uh, sort of aircraft it is not just um, going into cyclones. IITM used to do that uh, cloud uh, physics experiments, that Kaipex named experiments. They used to go into the cumulus, cumulonimbus clouds. But uh, cyclone is a, such a system that uh, it is a means uh, agglomeration of such several such clouds, and a lot of uh, this um, turbulent motion is taking place in that. So we need such a stubborn aircraft to do this observation. And for that purpose, there had been planned earlier, but uh, somehow it did not uh, materialize. Very long back, there had been some uh, observations taken place. That is quite a long time back. But there, world over uh, Atlantic and Pacific, they are doing, conducting such uh, experiments. So there is some improvement also has taken place based on that. Otherwise, we are uh, data sparse over the oceanic area mainly, uh, other than uh, certain data buoys and uh, uh, ships and all. When the system is developing, we'll ask them to move from move out of the area. Whatever data buoys are there, that will be giving the sea condition, sea surface temperature, uh, air temperature, that much only. We need the vertical uh, data also. Some satellites are providing us the data. So, but that there is a limit for it to means some validation is required for those these satellite data. Uh, satellites are helping us, but this is the essential part. Thank you so much, ma'am. So uh, now I'll uh, move to uh, Dr. Srija. Uh, in fact, uh, there is a question by uh, Mr. Praveen uh, Matthew from the audience. In Kerala, recent day cyclones have has calmed and uh, the destruction of the houses are there. It is due to the fact that there is no standard barriers. How can we strengthen the lives of the people who live near the sea? And if I can club it with um, what uh, the kind of disaster preparedness that you were saying, we need to have, I believe, more uh, foot soldiers in times of such, uh, such uh, disaster management when these disasters occur. But uh, what how do we deal with them in the peacetime when there is no such disasters? Uh, do we have a plan A, plan B? And uh, because we need so many people right there at the time, how do, uh, is there anything to train them, voluntary basis or uh, anything? Uh, so if you, if you can share your views on that. Dr. Srija. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for the question. Uh, so regarding the barrier, uh, already Sir has mentioned about the uh, you know, uh, in, initially we were thinking about if we were putting stones, uh, I mean boulders uh, near the coastal line, we can prevent the coastal erosion or um, um, the storm surge. Initially we were thinking, but now the now uh, the recent studies have shown that there's no point in just depositing the boulders there rather than. Um, um, it's, it's just a waste of um, 
uh, money. But um, now, because uh, we are seeing the example of uh, Mumbai and all, uh, we are trying to incorporate. This is what is actually happening and right now. Um, that is, uh, we are trying to put the tripod uh, near the coastal line so that it will act as a barrier. But we um, also prefer the natural barrier. We are uh, checking with the uh, whether it is uh, suitable. It's not suitable to have mangroves all over the coastal line in uh, Kerala. Uh, towards uh, the northern part of Kerala, of course, there are a few um, mangroves there. Uh, but when you come to the southern Kerala, there are no much mangroves as such. Uh, again, in, in um, near the central Kerala, in near to Kuchin, there are a few mangroves. But again, uh, it is not... A, that area is um, have not we have not yet um, checked its option whether we can grow uh, grow mangroves and um, prevent the storm surge. Um, but during tsunami, uh, some suggestions were there that because um, the southern part of Kerala was much impacted with uh, the tsunami, but the central part that is the Kernakulam. Um, that, that region was not much impacted because there is a mangrove um, region there. It's, it's some, uh, I'm, I'm not very sure whether that is the reason, but yeah, we are um, still op uh, checking the options and the new government is um, checking for the tripod thing. So that's, sorry, that is the, uh, that's what we are currently checking. Um, so regarding the fort soldiers, um, we have this uh, uh, related to the fire and safety department. Uh, we have the civil defense volunteers that is there for a long time. Um, but recently, uh, around two years back, I'm not very sure about the year. Uh, two years back, uh, we have this uh, civil defense volunteers. We have um, we started to train them uh, more and uh, give some uh, give them some incentives because they are more, uh, they are all volunteers. They are not being paid like um, they are not getting much remuneration. So they are paid and uh, they are uh, they will be engaging in their own work during um, their normal time and during disasters um, they will be. Um, for the uh, this work, uh, this um, rescue relief operations, but otherwise they will be engaging in their own work. Uh, similarly, there is an um, I think NDMA has this project called Abda Mitra, which is currently there in um, a few states in India. Uh, in Kerala, it is right now in one one district. So uh, they are also same to civil defense uh, volunteers. Uh, they will be engaging in their own work, and during emergencies, we will pull them for emergencies. So that is, yeah. Thank you so much, ma'am. That was uh, great information. So, uh, sir Chandra, sir. Yes. Um, so, as all of us in the panel and even uh, Major General Bindal also mentioned about the cascading disasters which will keep happening, and the projections also in indicate that uh, climate-related re disasters are likely to become more and more frequent and intense. What, uh, according to you, are the approaches that emerging economies like India, having a huge rural and poor population base, uh, should take? Uh, so I have a suggestion here. Basically, uh, given the more people are living in the coastal areas, basically the rural people, so we should now think of the alternative livelihood options because most of them are depending on the agriculture. You know, every year, either they are facing a cyclone or a flood or a basically heavy rainfall. Okay, because that, that's why they're basically losing the agricultural crops, which are negative impact on the live livelihood also every year. So now we should think of that, okay, 
how we can create an alternative livelihood for them and also providing the information much earlier because uh, the farmers in case of farmers they should think of that uh, alternative crops because now we know that uh, the month of october now the last two cyclones if you observe it's coming in the month of may okay earlier you see that the, the cyclones are coming in the month of october which is basically the harvesting season so now given the occurrence of the cyclonic patterns now we have to think of the uh, the agriculture department or the government agency has to think of that how they can uh, provide communicate to the farmer the rural households that okay you should cultivate the crops the short term crops so that you uh, you could harvest the crops before the cyclone uh, land because we know that the cyclone pattern that okay comes either in may or the october we should cultivate in between the second thing that we should also think of the building the climate resilient infrastructure so as long as we are not building the climate resilient infrastructure otherwise you could because the third thing i would like to point out here we should think of including the climate change in the development planning because you have a planning department in every state you have a climate change department they are going parallelly because you have a uh, human development report or the economic survey development planning reports and on the other hand you have uh, state action plan on climate change which is basically prepared by the other department they are going basically parallel as long as long as you don't merge them okay so uh, the uh, the development department the planning department should think of the climate change because the, what when they invest or do some in, investment on some infrastructure they should think of the climate change also that's why it could be climate resilient infrastructure the one thing i would like to point out if you look at the human development report of all states okay although most of the states are basically facing the disaster and disaster could be have significant impact on the human development except the odisha you will not find any state that is a chapter for disaster okay except the odisha although the, all the states most of the states are experiencing the natural disaster although the 2007 2007 human development report the international human development report basically uh, recognized climate change but still now none of the states are basically putting a chapter that's basically disaster chapter except the odisha so as long as the planning department or the development policy uh, thinkers is not recognizing the climate change so i don't think they'll go parallelly and they'll investment parallelly and we'll end up with a maladaptation that's why the economy loss and damage is very increasing Sir, right. So, thank you so much for uh, for your uh, responses. And uh, just quickly, because we are really over the time, if I can go to each of the panelists and ask for one or maximum of two policy recommendations that you have, uh, which will help us reduce the losses of lives and all sorts of associated losses from uh, disasters like cyclones. So, I if I may start with um, Sunita, ma'am. yeah regarding policy decision uh, i need to say uh, building a disaster resilience that is the major policy decision and we need to uh, be prepared for more frequent and more intense cyclones and not just uh, the expected areas like odisha west bengal they are more prone tamil nadu also prone along the east coast uh, andhra pradesh not just along the east coast west coast also we need to be uh, getting ready that is the major uh, point i want to state here i think yeah, we need to roll up the sleeves thank you so much ma'am uh, dr roxy over to you yeah simi <clears throat> so <clears throat> uh, regarding policies and all 
if if we if we are working on a futuristic way on how uh, climate change is unraveling uh, across not only the coastline of India but also the neighboring countries, we need uh, uh, to work on data sharing along the coastline in the exclusive economic zone included hydrographic scientific data. There is, uh, I mean, many of this data is av available from satellite also. So there shouldn't be any problem for uh, data collect collected from, you know, uh, in situ platforms in the, in, the, in the coastal region, yeah? And with that, with that data and future data that our climate change uh, projections show, it is quite possible to prepare a coastal risk assessment. So we need to do that coastal risk assessment for the entire coast. And for all this, uh, not, not only for the data sharing and also for the risk assessment, we need data sharing policies between departments of the country and also in neighboring countries as well. So that, that can work fantastically. I, I see that uh, even from a research point of view many times it is quite hard for us to get even publicly funded data. Uh, like, for example, data from water department or data from other agencies. So these data should be in the public forum so that researchers, scientists, government, uh, administration, everyone can use. Because like what we saw in all these talks here, many of these things are working together. Nature is working together. And if something like COVID also comes, it is multiplying that thread, right? So we need data, data sharing policy. Right, sir. Very important point. Thank you so much. Uh, Srija, ma'am, your views. So, uh, one thing I always, uh, uh, because I'm working um, in the disaster management sector, I have seen that there is no enough fund for meeting the needs of the uh, health sector. So if, the, if a particular percentage of the GDP should be like minimum 6%, if it is um, kept towards um, health, health sector, then that would be a big investment. Uh, and it will uh, bring big changes in the to risk itself. Uh, second thing is that, um, again, Sir has uh, said about it, uh, the data um, sharing. Data, not only data sharing, but uh, data management. It is most of the time, the data will be available with one particular department, but they will never share it with the, the department which is, um, uh, it, which is in the next building. So that is one problem um, which we are facing. But uh, one thing we have done in Kerala is that we have uh, given this um, uh, order, government order, that the um, data which is available in, in, with the state government, uh, any department in the state should be shared free of cost uh, to the uh, disaster management authority. But uh, it's, it's, it should not be just to the disaster management authority, but to um, uh, all the um, other departments also, and also to uh, other stakeholders also. So that should be there. So that's what I... Thank you, ma'am. Yes, that appropriation of GDP is really important. And that will help us roll up the sleeves for what Sunita ma'am was saying. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, Chandra, sir. Over yeah, to I'd you. like to again reiterate that. So we should think of like integrating climate change in the development policy planning. So otherwise uh, we'll end up with a maladaptation 
uh, as long as the the development policy planning the agriculture department or other department because i would uh, uh, like to reiterate the points raised by the both rakshimati uh, pal and the srija uh, so basically the coordination between the departments so since the uh, climate change has a spill over impacts on the many other sensitive sectors those sensitive sectors should coordinate with the uh, climate change department and also think of that okay uh, because there is two kinds of thing one is the development kind of risk another is the climate risk because the development department other departments they trying to address the development kind of risk but uh, they should think of that in national development is there is a climate risk so they should coordinate with the climate risk department and see that so the the next investments should be the climate resilient so that will not end up with the maladaptation and will not end up with the more loss and damage that's right that's right so yes uh, we are all on the same page and thank you so much for your responses i would now like to uh, uh, request if uh, anil gupta sir would like to uh, conclude and then we will just end with the vote of thanks anil sir thank you thank you, thank you and thanks to all the speakers uh, in fact very important points have emerged and uh, i think all all three speakers brought out their important point of view uh, shrija is a hazard analysis analyst and uh, her focus on data i think that she always uh, touches upon uh, these issues uh, and uh, Uh, dr baini pati uh, he has been uh, deep into trying to find out uh, two things one is the meteorological dimensions and beside this that how do we integrate actually uh, in india past uh, more than uh, 10 years or even 13 14 years journey since 2007 this integrating climate change issues with the developmental planning has been there but in a piecemeal Uh, kind of things we had good pilots but now it is required that from pilots we we rise to uh, both uh, upscaling downscaling and also uh, uh, multiplication because we have more than 700 districts and uh, how to integrate this with the district level plan i think that is that is going to be very important some of the states have uh, taken initiative in coming up with village level uh, plans also which are which they are uh, they try to integrate climate resilience but only thing that uh, when when we uh, try to develop a taluka level or village level plan then down scaling of climate climate information is uh, again a very uh, important uh, challenge so with with ad, uh, recognizing that uh, lack of data recognizing that deficit in the data also something can be done we we, we should we should agree that it is not that uh, if we do not have down scaled uh, uh, projection for district level or village level we cannot do anything then also because climate change is about uncertainties how do we address uncertainties i think that is that is very important thing so coming to a wide range na so for the same time preparing for drought and floods same the same time uh, preparing for the cyclone also and that is the reason the shift from uh, single hazard to multi hazard and basically here also we are discussing that how during one disaster we had to face other disasters also so these are important lessons and uh, as uh, dr roxy also given a very important uh, even some of the some of the examples also 
uh, which are very 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 uh, thought provoking that we sometimes we have we have some background information but how to use it wisely and simpler approaches sometimes even many times we talk about the very complex kind of models complex kind of approaches sometimes even simpler models can also work like uh, i recall that uh, some studies uh, we had uh, promoted uh, it, and it was uh, 2010 to 13 that how to uh, how to use simple rainfall data maybe 30 years 40 years rainfall data at the district level and simple data and using the excel microsoft excel uh, then also you can, we can do some kind of projections some kind of trends we can develop and we can say that uh, whether the whether the extreme rainfall events have increased or not increased and whether the periodicity or whether the timings maybe the extreme rainfall uh, took place in particular time uh, particular month now it is shifted 15 days before 15 days Uh, later so these kind of uh, uh, possibilities are there and idm has developed a uh, a handbook also on uh, disaster statistics and database i think there are good examples and that can also be of uh, use to some of the readers uh, so uh, and and, uh, and uh, i find that today's uh, deliberation uh, almost we started at um, uh, uh, 11 o'clock and uh, this is uh, 130 yeah 130 and very detailed discussion i think it was it was very 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 detailed and very good examples have come very good thoughts have come uh, we'll see we'll discuss uh, dr simi that how can we come out with some kind of a, uh, a, a key points we note the key points and then uh, because that should not remain within this uh, panel discussion only uh, it should be effectively communicated to to people who are into uh, helm of affairs and uh, certainly we are here but uh, the the people in the state governments people uh, in various ministries as there were a lot of emphasis on integrating uh, climate change adaptation disaster resilience into sectoral plans so before i uh, before i end uh, my closing remarks just to inform you that uh, uh, with the, with a uh, comprehensive exercise of uh, uh, working uh, with multi sectoral approach Uh, now we are trying to promote that each and every ministry of government of india should come up with a disaster management plan where we integrate disaster resilience uh, climate resilience also and also to see that how it addresses sdgs and the first plan that we have prepared and that is approved by the ndma chaired by honorable prime minister uh, that is the uh, national agriculture disaster management plan so that is first kind of a model that we have developed now we are helping ministry of environment and forests Uh, the work is already going on and the third ministry which has come forward and uh, where now we started is the uh, department of chemicals and petrochemicals so there also i'm um, now uh, because if in general if you talk to uh, chemicals and petrochemicals uh, no one will think that it has some kind of relationship with climate change but increasing incidences of fire during summers uh, in in these kind of industries increasing evaporations uh, and and then requirement of changing their safety thresholds here are some examples even the how climate change can affect industries also our climate change can also call for more requirement of uh, fuels for for cooling heating both so there are so many dimensions so currently we are trying to promote this and today's deliberation has really been a very uh, thought provoking uh, contribution contribution to this so thanks uh, from my side uh, to all all the uh, the panelists of the day and to to the entire team of impri and uh, nidm and uh, greetings to you uh, and uh, dr dr arjun and uh, over to you dr sami
Thank you so much, sir. Very important points you have raised towards the end also, and definitely uh, the key recommendations and key points uh, we will be sharing, we will be coming out with it and we will be sharing with everybody because I totally uh, resonate your views that the communication is the key, not just to the uh, people who are intellectually sound, but also in, in uh, to, to the common people as well. So uh, thank you so much. This was uh, this uh, panel discussion was uh, our humble attempt actually to bring uh, a convergence of the uh, scientists and the social scientists and also sciences and social sciences and ultimately uh, bring about insights that would translate uh, into the welfare and well-being of the people because it is ultimately the people who are affected by uh, the yeah, natural disasters. Uh, so yeah, I am sure uh, all of you um, had a great uh, intellectually stimulating session and uh, so is uh, the same with the um, attendees, not just watching here on Facebook, uh, not just here on uh, Zoom, but also on Facebook Live and those will be watching it later on uh, YouTube. So thank you so much. Now I would like to uh, formally propose the vote of thanks on behalf of the Center for Environment, Climate Change and Sustainable Development at IMPRI and NIDM, uh, Ministry of Home Affairs, Government of India, uh, on behalf of our patron, Major General Manoj Kumar Bindal, sir. Uh, thank you for um, your uh, keynote address. It really set the motion rolling. And also our convener, uh, Professor Anil Gupta, sir, uh, your views are always so enriching. And um, our, our eminent and distinguished panelists, uh, the program would not be uh, as intellectually stimulating as it has been without you. Uh, Dr. Srija Unni, ma'am, uh, Dr. Chandra, sir, Dr. Chandrasekhar Bahini Pati, sir, Dr. Roxy Matthew Cole, sir, thank you so much for your discussion points, and also uh, Mrs. Sunita Devi, uh, ma'am. Thank you so much. And also uh, the coordinators, uh, Fatima uh, and Ritika, Fatima from NIDM, Ritika and Anshula from our team, and also Sunidhi uh, from our team. So thank you so much. And I wish uh, all of us that we roll up our sleeves for more such disasters, but with better preparedness and more resilience. Thank you so much. I wish you all a very good day and God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you.